This episode is brought to you by AT&T. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So people currently listening to comedy podcasts and people listening to political podcasts and people listening to true crime podcasts who actually can't stop listening to true crime podcasts. The point is everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. I can finally wear a ball cap again. I've missed wearing a baseball cap. I really have. So, I'm pretty excited about wearing a ball cap again. Yeah. See, when I had the long hair, it would just push the hat right off my head. My hair had other intentions. But now, no way, man. No way. It's going to be wearing ball caps again. And it feels good. Real, real good. All right. We are getting closer to tonight's show. Let's see who else we have coming on in. Mike Bothwell, good to see you. And uh, we got about 40 seconds. The Super Chat is open, and we appreciate it when you support us that way. So thank you in advance. And you can go get all of our swag at spacedoutradio.com. we got a great store there for you with some fantastic, fantastic articles of clothing. So make sure you check that on out. And, of course... May 19th to 21st, 2023. Start looking now because we are close to booking our next fan party in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Golden Nugget Casino. We're going to be having a great time down there. So check it on out. But now, horns up. Let's rock. Mountains of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. we got a great show for you tonight. Dr. Paul J. Mills is here to talk about spirituality and science. Can the two combine? Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Swamp Dwellers back with another spooky story. Robin McRae fills in for Super Duke on the Cryptid Report. Ed Shirky Poo has the news. Dr. Paul J. Mills is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine and Director of the Center of Excellence of Research and Training in Integrative Health at the University of California, San Diego. But we just recently found out he's recently retired. 
He has over 400 scientific publications in the field of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, I can't believe I pronounced that, behavioral medicine, and integrative health. His work has been featured in Time Magazine, the New York Times, National Public Radio, U.S. News and World Report, Consumer Reports, and many, many more. But he's got a new book out that intrigues us here around Spaced Out Radio. It's called Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. It can be found on Amazon. You can check it on out. And we're glad to have Dr. Paul Mills here on Spaced Out Radio tonight because anytime we can blend science and spirituality, I think we do get closer to solving those questions that we all have regarding the phenomena that surrounds us. Dr. Mills, welcome to Spaced Out Radio. Very much a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation together. Now, you're a man of science. You're a man who has spent, you know, the better part of his life educating people regarding to, you know, the, the specifics of science and and the technology that goes around and, and the way the human body has developed and evolved over the years. But very few actually take a look into the spiritual realm of things. Has the spiritual realm always been a part of you or is it something that had to grow on you over time? Yeah. Actually, my spiritual, the spiritual part of me is why I got into science. I had some out-of-body experiences as a young guy in, my, in high school, and those experiences raised a lot of questions for me about the nature of myself and the world, and I decided to become a scientist to hopefully find out answers to those questions, and that, that was really the reason. Wow. So what did you experience as a child or in your younger years that really made you believe there was some sort of spiritual realm out there? Yeah. When I was in high school, I learned meditation. And shortly after beginning to practice it for a while, I went outside, sat down to meditate one day. And within a few moments, I was out of my body, literally looking down upon my body from up and behind myself. And I had never even heard of such an experience, of course, and not having experienced it before. And it was a big surprise. I felt startled initially, but after a few moments, I settled down into the experience and it actually became extremely pleasant. And uh, that's what really drove me to become a scientist because I, I wondered, well, who am I really? I am, am I the Paul that I knew myself to be all these years or was I the other Paul that was capable of existing outside of my body and which had a lot of different characteristics than I typically had? Uh, some of those characteristics were peace. I had a great sense of peace just while I was outside of my body. Also, I had a sense of expansiveness. My consciousness felt unlimited compared to what I had normally experienced it while I was in my body. Then that's just absolutely incredible to to experience that as a young man. You know, for you, when you experienced that and you came back into your body, how had that moment changed you? Uh, so many ways. One way was I decided I needed to start studying Eastern philosophy or whatever kind of books I could get my hands on to understand what happened to me. And the, the, the beauty of me finding books on consciousness, mainly from Eastern philosophy, then, then I realized what I had experienced, other people have experienced that. In fact, a lot of people have experienced it. It's just not talked about very much. So that, that changed me in that sense. And then again, the drive to become a scientist. I thought, I'm, I'm going to find out what this is all about. 
and how can human beings develop these things and what are the limits to our potential? Were you surprised at how close-minded your fellow scientists were regarding topics like this? Yeah, I very much was as I started getting deeper and deeper into science as far as my education and then finishing my education and starting at the university, I was surprised. And I I quickly learned that, you know what, it's better that I don't talk about these things. And I essentially didn't for decades. I just uh, did my scientific work, uh, which was very traditional and biomedical and maybe I could say materialistic at its foundation because most Western science is. And I just kept this part of me more in the closet, so to speak, more in the background. And it was really only the last couple of years that I started changing my attitudes around that. And now, of course, writing the book and publishing it, well, it's all out there now. So, you know, for you, you know, being a man of knowledge and always being on this quest to try and 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 figure things out, you know, the, the harder questions in life, which I think a lot of scientists are trying to do with with proficiency. Do you look at these subjects of spirituality in the same way you would a scientific question or equation? Mm, that's that's a really interesting question, Dave. More and more I do, in the sense that I found that the more I've begun to probe my own, say, spiritual nature, and by spiritual nature I mean my transpersonal nature, my metaphysical, my mystical nature, I found that we can approach that in a very systematic, kind of reliable way, the same way that I would typically approach scientific experiments, but I'm just doing them more on the inside versus the outside using equipment such as, you know, spectrophotometers and centrifuges and HPLCs and all that. I mean, in fact, that that brings up an interesting point because a lot of the Eastern philosophy traditions have had very systematic approaches to studying consciousness, to studying our spiritual nature, things that were very reliable and valid. And they would write books on these things, and then they would teach their students, whether it was in a monastery or a temple, and they would basically say, look, you're a student, and if you do this, this, and this over however much time, you will begin to have these same experiences too. And, and that's reliable because we're just talking about our essential nature. It's not anything unusual, really. It's just that it's been not very accepted, particularly in science. Well, and that brings yeah. up my next question. Why do you think many scientists out there have had a problem, an issue, a, a professional uh, misunderstanding with spirituality. I mean, look, I'm going to first off preface this, Dr. Mills. I am nowhere close to being a scientist. I went and got my journalism degree because I was not good at science. and I had to do something in college, right? So I took the mm-hmm. easy way out. But But that being said... The one thing that I have learned from some of my mentors in this field since doing this show is that science never stops, number one. But number two, you know, science is everything. Everything we do is scientific. And it it really behooves any scientist to really squash or poo-poo any type of subject matter because they don't personally believe in it. The job of a scientist is to prove what's not there. And if it's not there, write the conclusion on it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And when, when I hear you describing that, what comes to my mind is essentially closed mindedness. And you asked earlier, what happened to science? Well, when, when science, as we understand it, Western science started, which was approximately four centuries ago, the way things were set up is that the spiritual world was, was basically put out of bounds for scientists for a variety of reasons, but primarily that was through the influence of the, the Roman Catholic Church. And you've heard these stories probably. Galileo and other scientists started making discoveries that were contradictory to church teachings. And the church said, well, listen, here's the deal. You can study the physical world, but you can no longer, you can't get into the spiritual. That's our realm. And, and you know, proceed and prosper. And science from there, there uh, forward had to really just limit its um, studies to the material world. And even though early on, many scientists were spiritual and religious, interestingly, over the centuries, most scientists these days are very materialistic. And those that do have, say, a more developed spiritual nature, they, like me, have just kept it in the closet for a variety of reasons. You were just hinting at some of them that basically it's not accepted. And most scientists who go in this area are called woo-woo scientists or you know, they've just lost their, they've lost their rocker, so to speak. And really they, they can have adverse effects on our careers. Okay. So why is there that adverse effect? You know, whether it's, it's getting grants or government projects or anything, we always seem to, to lose out. And trust me, I do see the big difference between religion and science. I do believe that both do need to be divided equally you know, on both parts. And, and I, this is coming from, I consider myself a creationist, not an evolutionist. But the idea, though, is I think we have to keep them both separate because science is the nuts and bolts of everything. It, it really is. And that's what I admire about it. But I don't believe that if, if a conclusion leads towards a spiritual path, that we should just throw it in the garbage because, you know, that's the non-scientific way. You know, one thing that I have a complaint about in the paranormal field, in, in the, as many shows as we have done around here, is people who claim that they're conducting scientific investigation. And yet you know they haven't completed a science experiment since high school, and yet they're, tr they're, they're saying they're going to prove the paranormal or Bigfoot or whatever using science. I, I think it's a joke. And I don't take it very seriously. But on this side, being that there is a professional side to everything, how do you blend the two when the two are like oil and water? Yeah, it's it's been a tough road in that sense. And I think much of the pushback is that many scientists and perhaps beyond science itself, people don't believe there's anything that exists beyond the physical world. They feel that they are simply their body and genes and genes determine their behavior and the world exists as it is. And there's nothing beyond that. There is no metaphysical and there is no spiritual. And that's why there's such pushback. And that's why if a scientist starts doing research in this area, they're labeled a quack because the feeling is, well, obviously nothing else exists beyond the physical, but this person's studying it. So they're no longer a decent scientist because they're, they're doing things that don't make any sense. But but honestly, you know, that that's that's a hard road because how is it that scientists are willing to discount things they've never known? 
they've never experienced. And that that's really where I draw the line. If, if, if you've never experienced something, you're not in a position to say that it absolutely doesn't exist. And if you have people saying it exists, then, okay, let's talk about it. And let's begin to use the tools of science, which are utterly vast and the resources, then to begin to see these things. And hopefully we'll come to an answer. Maybe you would find out, you know what, that actually doesn't exist. But this thing over here, it actually does exist. And we never knew that before. See, and yet we see it all the time in our field that we study on here in the fridge, you know. And yet we see it all the time in our study, in our fields that we study here on a daily basis. Scientists, you know, refusing to look into evidence of Sasquatch or 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 any type of cryptid type creature of being alive. You know, where we refute First Nation stories and evidence and culture over that. We, you know, we we refute up until recently science was very much in, in refuting anything to do with extraterrestrial life and UFOs until the government stepped in and said, Hey guys, we do have something going on here and we need to do something about it. And then they, they were much like the media caught with their pants down. And yet in behind the scenes, you see all of these scientists who are actually working on this privately, you know, <laughs> and, and they privately. don't, you know, and they don't want to upset the apple cart. Uh, they don't want to get into it. You know, what's wrong with, with going after some of these subjects and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Hey, if you believe in the big bang, because that's a scientific way, good for you. I can appreciate that. But what's wrong with studying the near-death experience or the out-of-body experience when there is comparable amounts of evidence, albeit anecdotal, that shows that there is something more going on? Why does science keep fighting that? <laughs> well, from my point of view, there's a couple of reasons. And, of course, if science is fighting it, it's, it's that scientists themselves are fighting it. And for example, when I um, started writing the book and I was reaching out to scientists to interview them about their metaphysical and mystical experiences, quite a few scientists said, well, Paul, I do have those experiences, but I'm not willing to speak about them. And the reason was because they were worried about their academic career for the reasons we just spoke about, about being labeled woo-woo and that could, that could dry up grants and hurt your reputation. On the other hand, other scientists were willing to speak about them, and that's what really comprises the book. From my point of view, now I've not experienced Sasquatch, but I don't have a closed mind to any of these kinds of things. But I have experienced other things often called the metaphysical and mystical, and therefore I know they're real. And that's what I pursued um, just further studying and developing. Yeah, and I, and I would love to see more of that. I, I really, really would. And, and trust me, as a peon on this planet who just has a big mouth and very little scientific brain power, you know, the things that I have seen, I would love to find scientific answers for. Like the, the Sasquatch we saw in the, for, in the forest last weekend, right, or a week and a half ago. Love to know, what was that? What was it? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, there's so much more. I, I've never had a near death experience. Don't want one. They scares me to even think about that. But I know that there are some 
operating rooms out there that on top of their gear they have letters or pictures or anything mm-hmm. because they are conducting scientific experimentation even though it may be all in secret they may be conducting scientific experimentation on near-death studies trying to figure out whether mm-hmm. or not that somebody has gone to the other side or they left their body during surgery and can see the the picture of a sun uh, sunset or or the letter A or the number twelve or or whatever it may be. I mean, so mm-hmm. the curiosity is there, but the professionalism with that curiosity still remains quite secretive, and that's what you're yeah. trying to fight. I am. I'm trying to fight that, and typically, what happens, what. The threshold is crossed when a person has an individual experience, be it spiritual or, or they had they they had a meeting with somebody in their family who was deceased, or they had the NDE or some other profound opening of their consciousness. From that point on, then they have a sense of the reality of something else. But until somebody has such an experience, well, typically in our society is very skeptical. And if it's beyond skeptical, then they're so hard, closed-minded that. They're not even willing to consider it. And as I said, a lot of the scientists I interviewed have had these openings and that caused them to say, oh, wait a minute. My prior thoughts about what science is about and and the universe itself have been incorrect. And now I'm going to do a course correction and I'm going to start looking at them both personally. And also if I can do science on it, I'll do it. And I think some of the types of experiments you just cited Uh, have been by scientists who have had spiritual experiences, but they haven't spoken about it openly, but it did cause them to say, well, I'm going to run some experiments on the side and see what I can find out. Do you see this topic growing? Like, is it growing? Is it getting better? Is it getting to the point where we're actually eventually going to see, you know, real scientists conduct real experimentation on these high strangeness topics? <laughs> well, I think so. Maybe I'm operating a little bit of a bubble these last couple of years because of what I've been. This episode is brought to you by AT&T. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So people currently listening to comedy podcasts who can't wait for their podcast to end so they can tell that guy in front of them on the bus about it, even if he is the driver... And people listening to political podcasts, saving juicy political quotes to throw down at Thanksgiving dinner with their relatives. And people listening to true crime podcasts who desperately want to talk about true crime podcasts at work, but they're not sure if anyone else is into that and they don't want to seem weird to their office crush. And they already got odd looks that time they looked up that crazy case on their work computer. The point is... Everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. Earth Justice is a national legal nonprofit defending the environment and people's health. Until justice stands for all, our lawyers will never rest. More at earthjustice.org slash never rest. Earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer. I'm doing. But what I read beyond that bubble of mine, I'd say yes. And and one of the reasons is because over the years, particularly say the last 10 years, I, I have more and more students knock on my door historically 
and they want to talk about the spiritual. And, and I think the reason is because so many more young people have learned meditation. They've taken up yoga. And by doing these kinds of exercises, contemplative meditation and so forth, it's kind of inevitable that eventually something's going to happen. It could be minor. It could just be parts of their perception begin to soften and they have insight that something's different than they used to think it was. And that kind of opening creates a new trajectory, enough of a tra trajectory to speak to me, to begin to uh, read books, speak to other people. They're going to be the future of science. So I think the answer is yes. Well, th that actually brings up another interesting question. And that is, I notice even with my own children, they are more spiritually connected than, say, kids of my own age when I was growing up. You know, it was the church or nothing when I grew up. Today, I look at my own kids. They're seeking out their own spirituality. How will that younger generation, that let's say 25 and under to unborn right now, change the face of science once they get to adulthood through university? Or do you think that that the, the old stigma is still so great and powerful that they will be affected by it as well? We got about just over a minute. All right. Well, there's an old saying that science changes one death at a time. That probably holds for a lot of different human endeavors. So as the older cohort dies off, those who have been more materialistic and closed-minded and the young students start moving in. And there's a lot more um, opportunities for young scientific students to pursue spiritual. There's conferences by groups that study contemplative spirituality and how can they do research on it. And there are a lot of opportunities to do this for the young younger cohort of scientists. So I see promise in that. Wow. So there, there is a possibility that one day science and spirituality will be conjoined again. It may not be in the next decade or two, but maybe 50 to 100 years down the road. Yeah, I hope I hope sooner than that. I, I, I'd say sooner. But yeah, I mean, it should be. I mean, science is simply a way of knowing and it's, it's how we learn things and, and it should not be closed off to certain realms of uh, study. Dr. Paul J. Mills is here tonight on Spaced Out Radio, Spirituality and Science. He's got a brand new book out, just came out on the 11th, called Science, Being and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. And I'm telling you, this is really opening up a whole Pandora's box between the scientific community and the ones who believe in the woo, just like you and I. Spaced Out Radio continues with Dr. Mills when we return right after this break. We'll see you on the other side. All right, we're clear. That was a fun first half hour. Great. I enjoyed I'm looking that. forward to more. I enjoyed that. I, I love your candid nature. I really do. I hope my questions are okay for you. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're all gonna be awake for this one, so it's uh, all good. Yeah. Evan Walters, just a reminder in the chat room. You haven't done anything yet, but you're already pissing me off. Just figured I'd throw that out there. And uh, who else do we have? Um, we got uh, Dirty Filth. What, what do you got going on down there, buddy? There's a little peeky-boo here. Oh, you know. 
some paintings, That's watercolor. <clears throat> Looks like you're doing one of your famous night skies. Of course, yes. Oh, hey, Clam. It's got that lunar blue. Oh, hey, Clamster. And Goddess Michelle, a good fellow Canadian kid, is here. Gloria has joined us. Oh, we got the hat trick of Canadians, Dave. Oh, yeah. YJ Overlander, another proud Canuck. <laughs> is that a black that you're using? This is Lunar Blue. Lunar Blue. Very nice. Hi, Diesel Girl. So you just got to spread it around like butter. Oh, yeah. That's the secret. Would that be a a margarine-type butter, or an I-can't-believe-it's-not-butter butter? No, you have to use real butter. Ah. None of that... Phony blue. I'm pretty poor, but I'm going to buy real butter, that's for sure. Mm. Another good Canadian Some kid just came into the chat down. room. Dirt Road, how are you? A Canuck is a nickname for a Canadian. Same with Hoser. Same as Hoser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I see a couple of stars in there. They've seen stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kim Jellen, how you doing? I don't get it. The mystery is trying to figure out what the filth is creating. What the filth? (laughs) What the Franklin? That's the turtle's name. Do you have a turtle? No, I wish I had a Ah, no, I don't think I'd want a turtle. I'd like a snail again. I miss my snail. Snail was a good snail. You know what I'm actually thinking of of getting again is a fish tank. I miss having fish. Mrs. Phil's getting one of those. I encouraged her. I also used to have a uh, a frog aquarium for the the yellow uh, the orange bellied tree frogs. I had a couple of those, and man, that was that was always a lot of fun too. My first pet was a frog. His name was Bill. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Still got a picture of him. One of those old dollar store wind-up camera things or whatever from or London Drugs from back in the day. Mm. Mm. Anyways, I, th- I thought you were going to drop a Zellers on us. I still got my Club Z card. Is it in your wallet? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember when you could go to Woodward's into their grocery department and the uh, the baker there would always give each kid a, a free cookie. All you had to do is walk up and you'd get a free cookie. Do you remember Wolko? Oh, yeah. I can still smell the Zeller's restaurants, though. Oh, yeah. 
the 12-day-old French fries. Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Paul, we got about just French over 30 fries. seconds here. Just over 30 seconds. Okay. All right. And uh, let's see here. Let's remind everybody the Super Chat is open. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And our store is open on our website, spacedoutradio.com. And if you've bought gear recently, and I know many of you have, send us a photo of you in the gear. So that way, or you can post it right to our website in the fan zone. Here we go, everyone. Here comes the second half hour. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Just do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com where we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Dr. Paul J. Mills is here talking about spirituality and science. His brand new book just came out. You can find it on Amazon called Science, Being, and Becoming the Spiritual Lives of Scientists. Dr. Mills, welcome back. Thank you, Dave. Great to be back. In your little testimony about your book on Amazon, there's a line on there that really, really hit me. And it says that, and I'm paraphrasing here because I'm watching you and not the book, that space is not the final frontier. Spirituality is actually the final frontier of science. I think this Mm -hmm. is one of the most powerful statements that I've ever heard from a scientist. And trust me, my main man, Science Bob, I'm going to be hitting him up on this because he has gone from all nuts and bolts to right down the spiritual tube as well, Dr. Mills. And um, so I'm curious, can you define that for me? Yeah, yeah. What I mean by that is, and we've been talking about science already in the first part of the show, Science, the way it's designed, can tell us the how of things. It can tell us how things are designed, how things work, how things originated. But what science can't do is the why. Why things are the way they are. Why do they exist this way and not that way? And from my point of view, the reason science can't give us the why is because the why exists in domains that science doesn't tread. And that is literally the, the metaphysical and the mystical. I mean, you speak to anybody who's had a metaphysical experience and what happens or, uh, you know, an NDE, for example, which often is a metaphysical, they immediately have a sense of their life. They have meaning now. They have a sense of why they were born. They have a sense of their existence. There's meaning all over the place. It's just that they have to begin to cope now when they have to return to this, this, this plane, let's say, and continue their lives. And eventually, hopefully, most of them do figure that out. So that, that's... That's what I mean why the spiritual is the final frontier, because it's literally in an area that 
per prior reasons, science has not been allowed to tread. And that has basically meant huge areas that are relevant. I mean, the mystical is so meaningful to the human being. Anybody who has a mystical experience, suddenly their life is, is lived on an entirely different dimension. Meaning is one of the main ones. A sense of well-being is another one. And these are hard things to get by just our normal day-to-day living. People are looking for that all the time. Most people have a sense of depression and anxiety in their life because they don't really have a sense of who they really are. But those answers come when you start looking on the other side. And very profound answer regarding to that. You know, the fact that your fellow scientists have read it in on this, what have they said about thinking that spirituality is the final frontier? Hmm. I think most of the scientists that I interviewed for the book agree on that. And you, you saw on the Amazon um, website that I have a lot of uh, endorsements for the book. And many scientists are really glad to see this book come out. There have not be, there's not an existing book like this where scientists have just been willing and been, say, courageous enough to speak about their own experiences. Um, and as I said, there are scientists who said, you know, I do have these experiences, but I'm not willing to speak about it because of worried adverse effects. But m- many said yes, and therefore I was able to do the book. And they're, they're um, enthused, and they want to see science change as much as I do. And I think that's one of the reasons they were willing to participate in the project. Very nice indeed. Very nice indeed. The idea behind the the fact that this is still not common practice within universities, even though some of them are delving into the paranormal, supernatural, you know, I I know that at Johns Hopkins, they they take near-death studies very seriously. I know at Rice University, they are studying the effects of ET contact with experiencers. You know, Dr. Gary Nolan is doing the exact same thing, analyzing the brain on people who say they've had ET contact at Stanford University. I mean, there are these scientists, Dr. Jeff Meldrum at the University of Idaho, you know, talking Bigfoot and studying Bigfoot and hominology. I mean, the idea that they are happening, that these studies are happening, you know, is it happening a lot more than what we think, or is it still nighttime, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type science? Uh, That's a great question. Let's see. I'm going to venture to say probably the majority is still the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but there are more and more folks opening up to it. And, And as you were speaking, I had a thought, and I'm going to try to explain why I think there's been more momentum in this area over the last couple of decades. Do you remember in the late 70s, early 80s, the whole field of complementary and alternative medicine started, certainly came on strong in the United States, Canada, and a lot of the other Western countries. And that was where medicine began to open up a little bit to things such as meditation and herbs and yoga. That that has evolved quite a bit uh, since, since that time. Currently, in the U.S. and Canada, there are over 80 what are called centers for integrated medicine. And these exist in top tier academic medical centers, Harvard, uh, Stanford, UC Berkeley, UC San Diego, and others. And in these centers, people can be taught meditation and yoga. You can get osteopathic uh, treatment, uh, you can get energy treatment, Reiki, and so forth. 
as more academic centers began to uh, open these types of integrated medicine centers, there was more exposure to these things. And as I said earlier, when I was speaking about the young students, when people begin to expose themselves to practices like this, things just automatically start changing. And that creates the open-mindedness. And I, I guess I wonder how many of the scientists, for example, you just described who have been moving into these other areas got some of their start by being part of these centers, part of the open-mindedness that began. And uh, I think it's just more and more snowballing these days. I mean, there are quite a few scientific journals now that, that uh, study integrated medicine, include energy healing, even though energy healing is still something that hasn't been validated in the sense of we don't have instruments to study the energy of the human biofield, for example. And yet we can measure effects if somebody's inflammation goes down or the depression changes. So there's something going on and people are willing to keep studying it, even though we don't have all the kind of the nuts and bolts of it yet. Well, one of the things that kind of kind of catches my attention with it is is the idea that, you know, we do have a number of provable stories of of these studies. Which one, if you were to start off with one, which study would you say would be the most important one to try and break the science enigma into the world of spirituality or or the phenomena or whatever you want to call it? Okay, what comes to my mind initially is there, there's a group out there called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. It's a nonprofit that was started a few years ago. One of their main focus areas is the human biofield. And for those of your listeners who don't know what that refers to, another term that historically has been used is the aura. And essentially the biofield is the, is the energy that surrounds each human being and many other living organisms. And that biofield contains a lot of information. It contains really many of our thoughts, many of our feelings and emotions. Now that its existence is very much discounted because nobody has an instrument to measure it. So there are a group of people as part of this consciousness healing initiative who are working with engineers to create highly sensitive sensors that can pick up such low levels of electromagnetic and other energy that they hope to create a machine that can visualize the biofield. Just like we can go in and get an X-ray and we could see all the bones, they want to have a machine that will visualize this energy field out around the body. And once that's there, that'll be a game changer because that's, that's really a metaphysical phenomenon. And you can do research on it then and do uh, studies to see, well, what, what changes when a person has these sorts of thoughts or those sorts of thoughts or somebody does hands-on energy healing on the biofield? This, to me, would be um, a big deal. How much do we know about the spiritual side of the human body and mind and soul? We'll throw, we'll throw the trifecta yeah. in there. Because we, <laughs> yeah. outside of a lot of infectious diseases, we can fix anything on the human body. We're more advanced on the human body over the last 50, 60 years than we ever have been right through humanity. So when it comes yeah. to the spiritual aspect of everything, how far behind are we compared to our counterparts who are doing the the science of it all? Yeah. 
So Western science is way behind, but you can go and find ancient texts in Tibetan medicine. I've traveled to Tibet and been at their medical school and gone in their archives. It's amazing the kind of information they have there. Chinese medicine, the same. Ayurvedic medicine out of India. They've had texts on, on the spiritual nature of the human being and of the body and the energy systems of the body and the chakras and so forth and how they all work and how they, how they all interrelate to the physical body as we know it, the endocrine system. It's been there for literally centuries and beyond. But again, it's just been discounted in Western medicine. But there's been more openness to it. So you, you'll, you'll see articles these days on things like chakras in some of the integrated medicine journals. There's slowly more of an openness to it. But if, if Western medicine eventually does open to it fully, then to have the power of the Western medicine, which you were just describing a few moments ago, along with the deeper knowledge of the, the spiritual energies of the body and how the spiritual energies of the body support the physical, the different organs, well, again, that'll be a game changer as far as people really be gave, being able to have more of a health and vitality in the West. <laughs> Do you think people yeah. would live longer? Uh, potentially, I, I certainly think they'd they'd have a healthier existence, more well-being, vitality, less uh, senility, uh, fragility that we often see in the elderly. This episode is brought to you by AT and T. Everyone gets AT and T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So, people currently listening to comedy podcasts who can't wait for their podcast to end so they can tell that guy in front of them on the bus about it, even if he is the driver. And people listening to political podcasts, saving juicy political quotes to throw down at Thanksgiving dinner with their relatives. And people listening to true crime podcasts who desperately want to talk about true crime podcasts at work, but they're not sure if anyone else is into that and they don't want to seem weird to their office crush. And they already got odd looks that time they looked up that crazy case on their work computer. The point is everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. Family Dollar has the spookiest deals to help you do more for your family this Halloween. Stop by and start booing things up with our huge variety of outdoor and indoor Halloween decorations. Discover a great selection of costume accessories to complete the perfect look. Plus, find all your favorite candy brands like Nerds, M&M's, Snickers, Kit Kat, and many more at great prices. Family Dollar, helping you do more. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. Are, are we far around that corner to get there? Or is it still in, you know, before infancy? Okay. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I'd say we're still in the infancy, infancy phase. <laughs> but, again, there are studies out there. So let me give you an example. Uh, I've uh, been a graduate school mentor for many years at the university and I had a graduate student come to me probably 10 years ago now, and she was very interested in this human biofield. And her name is Dr. Shamani Jan. And she was interested in it because when she was young, she would go into her father's library and he had metaphysical books, metaphysical books from their religious tradition, which is Jainism. And Jainism 
uh, has uh, deep knowledge on the subtle energies of the body, for example, the chakras. And, and she would see these books as a child and say, well, this is all very, very interesting. But when she got into graduate school, there were no courses on the chakras and the energy system. It was just standard anatomy and so forth. So when she got into graduate school, she approached me and said, you know, I'd like to do research in this area. I'd like to do research on energy and say hands-on healing. And let's figure out, does this stuff really work? Does it change health as we know it? So we designed a clinical trial and we, and we got funding from a private foundation. And uh, we ran the trial on women who were breast cancer survivors. And breast cancer survivors typically have extreme fatigue, often extreme depression, and trouble sleeping that lasts literally for years, years beyond their chemotherapy. Even when they're considered healed of their cancer, say breast cancer, they still carry around this morbidity. We did a clinical trial, a blinded trial using hands-on energy healing, and the, the effects were remarkable. Have you ever had massive? Reiki? Have you ever had Reiki Go yourself? On. Yeah, I've had hands-on healing from a variety of practitioners, and uh, sometimes it's been very remarkable. I never believed in it; thought it was a bunch mm. of hokey crap until my partner. Or this is going back seven years ago now. Uh, I was. Mm. I wasn't feeling good. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was always feeling angry, a lot of stress uh, at work and everything. And she's like, let me try this. She went to this weekend Reiki retreat and came back a whole new Reiki expert or whatever they call practitioner or whatever they call it. And long story short, she stood about six feet behind me. She goes, just let me try. And I'm like, fine. And she goes, can you feel my, can you feel my hands? I said, no. She goes, okay, I'm moving closer. Can you feel my hands? No. She gets about three feet. Can you feel my hands? No. She gets within about a foot and a half of me, and I am screaming, screaming. And I yelled at her, get your bloody hands off of me. You're killing my back. And she goes, I haven't even touched your back. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? She goes, swivel around in your chair. And sure enough, her hands were about a foot and a half back of me, and she was probably another nine, ten inches behind her hands. And Mm. I'll tell you, when she started pulling these daggers out of my back, holy cow, (laughs) I've been a believer ever since of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a great example where we need Western science to open up more and more to these other modes of healing, to understand how they work and how they can be applied and start helping people to live healthier, better lives. Is it straight ego though? Like I look at Neil deGrasse, is it straight ego though? Because I look at Neil deGrasse Tyson where he's giving cheap shot after cheap shot on Twitter about the UFO phenomena being not real and people need to wake up and come back to the 21st century, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it just ego that is doing this? Hmm, that's another really super question. Um, I, I would say yes to that because, again, we're talking about closed-mindedness. Here we have somebody, unless he's done a massive deep dive on 
all the literature out there and has access to all the U.S. military databases and everything anybody has. And then if he has access to that and then he says, well, this is all bullshit, then okay, so be it. But somebody who's making these sort of statements, but who really doesn't have any personal experience around it or doesn't have access to all the existing data in a serious way. Well, that to me is egotism because they're making a statement based on not knowledge, but just of closed mindedness, a sense that they know the answers, even though nobody else does. Well, and that leads to my next question regarding regarding this, because a lot of times we have and I've noticed it more since during this show, we have a lot more opinion than we do science. And it seems mm-hmm. like even, you know, scientists out there who know better are trying to base their studies on opinion. And to me, that just ruins the science behind it because you could find something special. And why wouldn't a scientist want to find something special? and unique and get their names in a bunch of papers or, or whatever it may be, maybe a Nobel prize in the end, who knows? I agree fully. I mean, scientists by training, we're trained to do experiments to get the answers that we're seeking. And I personally never speak about anything unless I have experienced it or I've done science on it repeatedly that gives me confidence that it is a real phenomenon. And then I'm willing to speak about it. Otherwise I might give an opinion, but I'm not going to be closed minded about it. What subject do you think is we got about four minutes to go here. What subject would you concentrate the most on right now in trying to solve this phenomena? Hmm. Well, the subject I focus the most on is really human potential as far as helping people understand their their nature beyond their experience of their own thoughts and feelings and, and body system. Right. And to know that they're more consciousness itself and they, they have a metaphysical nature. And I'm not doing research on that per se at the moment, but part of the message of this book is that, is to help people understand that you you are so much more than you know yourself to be. Get out there and start exploring it. Figure out ways to look at it and find your answers. Okay, but deep down for you, Paul, would it be near-death mm-hmm. studies, out-of-body experiences, continue with the UFOs that we've been seeing? Uh, would it be taking other studies a little bit further, you know, uh, for spiritual contact like ayahuasca? You know, I, I don't know if that's you know, something that you would uh, option to do. I mean, personally, I would not, but that's just me. You know, there's a lot of different roads to take here. And if you were allowed to be selfish, where would you start? Hmm. I think I go back to some research I had done years ago, and this is on people who were long-term meditators and they had been practicing whatever form of meditation it was for, let's say at least 10 or 15 years and were feeling very transformed in their own experience of life and of themselves. And we were doing EEG uh, EEG experiments, for example, and just looking at how did the brain change when that person has an experience where suddenly they're no longer just their thoughts and their feelings and their mind and body, but they've expanded out to something big, to their environment, maybe to out to the universe itself. 
it's fascinating. There's more and more research in this area, just documenting that the brain or human brain can support the such an experience that is radically different from what your average person experiences moment to moment. I haven't done UFO research, for example. I mean, that's just a whole nother, another world to get into, but maybe someday. Oh, stay away from Twitter. That's my <laughs> advice. If you need any advice about the UFOs, I'll tell you who to stay away from. But seriously, I I, I would recommend uh, giving you a website called explorescu.org. That's explore.scu. So explore uh, South California unicorn.org. And that is a group of scientists from around the world who study the UAP phenomena. And they are spread out across the United States, Canada, and around the world. That that would be a great place for you to, uh, I believe you do have to have some sort of scientific degree in order to join the membership. I mean, that would be something for you to look into. All right. A lot of good scientists in there. A lot of good scientists. With with less than a minute to go, you know, you mentioned UFOs. Do you think we've been visited? There's a cover-up going on? Um, I, I I find it very hard to believe that there's, there's no other intelligence. I think for people who are closed-minded and say there's no way there's extraterrestrials, that is a kind of an egotistical, closed-minded statement. Given the, the size of our universe and the intelligence behind everything, absolutely, there's other intelligence out there, so-called extraterrestrials. And therefore, have they visited here? Sure. Do you think... I've never had any personal experiences around it, unfortunately, but, but to me, it's a very reasonable thing to, to state. Come hang out with me for a weekend. You'll get some weirdness. That's all I'll say. You'll get some weirdness. Dr. Mills, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here at the top of the hour. Dr. Paul J. Mills, brand new book out on Amazon called Science Being and Becoming the Spiritual Lives of Scientists. Highly suggest you get this one for your library. Space Down Radio with me, Dave Scott. We'll be right back with hour number two next. Stay tuned. All right, we are clear. I'm going to bring uh, Mr. Filth back up here so that way he can describe. Oh, wrong button. Sorry, Dirty. My fault. There we go. So we can start to see his picture come together. I'll be right back, Paul. If you want to take a quick break, we got about five and a half, six minutes. Okay, sounds good. Apparently everybody's going for a break and Dirty Filth doesn't even get cats because they're nowhere to be seen. Or tea. Terrible. Frothy, yeah, I'm frothing at the mouth. 
boss monster. Fulman over here. So anyways, since everyone's sitting here and watching, currently working on a cartoon. It's part of the Trick or Treat series. And so basically it's going to be, whoop, ghost pushed that out of my hand. Basically it's going to be something happening at some place. And yes, that squidge there, I'm going to keep that there. That was the one from yesterday. It's the mummy and little skeleton guy getting candy from an alien. I think the mummy's pretty cool. Skeleton guy's got a pretty cool hat on as well. I'm going to say helmet, but... This one's going to have an alien too, I can tell you that much. Possibly a Mothman. Mothman. It's the Mothman. I still think the Mothman likes Chicago Deep Dish Pizza. We got a Mothman so far. Any gray alien? Did you say a Mothman? Yes, we're working on the Mothman, and we have a gray alien as well. 
Great. Don't worry, it looks like a blob right now, but once all the ink comes together, it'll, it'll make sense. Hey, Dutty. We got one minute. Um, Dave, a question. Yeah. Uh, are, are my answers kind of long enough? Not too oh, they're long, beautiful. Too short? They're beautiful. Okay. Very informative. Thank you. And, you know, another thing, if you want, I wouldn't mind going back to this UFO question because, as I said, <laughs> the universe is so utterly vast. To think we're the only ones, to me, is basically ridiculous. And sure. to think that other life forms wouldn't be more advanced and have space travel again seems inevitable. But I always wonder why don't we have visitations that are more uh, evident oh, uh, on a regular basis? They're out there. They are out there. Let's get into it. We'll uh, we'll uh, knock it off. Here we go, everyone. Thank you, Cat Chaser, for the super chat tonight. Here we go, everyone. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. And what do we got? Zister. Zister is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as a clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Dr. Paul J. Mills is with us tonight. We are looking into the spirituality versus science. Yes, he has a brand new book out, can be found on Amazon right now, called Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. Dr. Mills, thank you so much for coming back here with us for the second hour. We very much appreciate it. You are welcome. Now, I know the topic of UFOs, because you just mentioned it to me during the break, is one that you are very intrigued by, you know, knowing that, hey, the universe is infinite as far as we know. I don't even think we've found the halfway point yet. And yet, every day, there are people out there claiming that they are in contact with extraterrestrials from different planets, from different star systems, and it's just an incredible piece of science fiction that many of us live on a daily basis and you believe that there are life forms out there but i'm going to assume you just don't know if they've made it here yet well no i suspect they've made it here there's been enough reports over time my question is 
if they're out there, why not just land in the middle of the mall at Washington, D.C. or in Leningrad or wherever and just have a conversation started? Why has it been so uh, hit and miss and, and hard to really validate for the average person? Well, I can answer that this way in my very unscientific realm of doing things. And that is, I believe that there are a lot more hidden secrets to this than what we are allowed to know. You know, whether it's crash retrievals, whether it's alien bodies, you know, going back from Roswell on forward, if we look at the modern age of ufology starting back in 1947. And I do believe that that there are a lot of hidden gems and secrets that have changed technology over the decades so quickly. I mean, look, between the time of World War II and the Korean War, we went from... from, uh... This episode is brought to you by AT&T. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So, people currently listening to comedy podcasts who can't wait for their podcast to end so they can tell that guy in front of them on the bus about it, even if he is the driver. And people listening to political podcasts, saving juicy political quotes to throw down at Thanksgiving dinner with their relatives. And people listening to true crime podcasts who desperately want to talk about true crime podcasts at work, but they're not sure if anyone else is into that and they don't want to seem weird to their office crush. And they already got odd looks that time they looked up that crazy case on their work computer. The point is everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Barely flying 500 miles an hour in a P-51 Mustang to designing the SR-71 at Mach 3.3+. plus. I mean, that's a, that's a big hit. That's a big, giant move there. How did we get there? You know, how did we know about stealth technology back then and have it work with the SR-71 Blackbird and the A-12 Skunk Works projects? I mean, I think that there is this giant amount of information sitting way in the depths of the Pentagon that will never come to fruition. And this is why I tell my audience, you know, we hear the word disclosure thrown around so easily. I don't believe in disclosure. I believe in confirmation that they are going to confirm that the phenomena is real, but because of the secrets of the trade, they don't want to give up what they truly know. They being the United States military and government agencies such as NASA don't want to give up what they actually know in regards to the phenomena happening more frequently than it is. I mean, we know that NASA has been caught scrubbing photos. We know that every rocket launch astronauts have reported being followed from Gemini on up to having some strange phenomena following them into space. 
You know, I mean, how many times have we seen the International Space Station's feed get cut, you know, just as an object that is anomalous starts getting closer to it? I mean, it's incredible. And I think they don't want us to know. The government scientists don't want us to know. The military doesn't want us to know because they want that tech. They want it first for the military-industrial complex. And I think that's what plays a huge role. What would be your thoughts of that? Well, I've, I've heard a lot of that uh, sort of explanation before. So let's say, what about on the side of these beings? What's keeping them from coming and landing down and saying, well, we're here and we've been trying to be more visible and we're just going to do it. I don't know the answer to that, but that's been something I've had on my mind over time. And that would just settle the whole question once and for all. Well, I think I think that's... You know, and and we've asked the same questions here. Okay, like why does the guy from Seven Eleven Night Shift get uh, binaural downloads? Okay, why does why does a, a single mother living in northern British Columbia get downloads of of information? Why does a twelve year old girl uh, claim to be able to fly UFOs after being taken? You know, I mean, there's so many different aspects to this entire phenomena. You know, never mind the abduction and ET contact theories and stories that are out there. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, why aren't you taking Neil deGrasse Tyson? Why aren't you taking Avi Loeb? Why aren't you taking other mainstream scientists and let them use the their their super genius brains to figure out how this phenomena works? I mean, I agree with you on that. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's a puzzle. Um, I'd, I'd like to see it all revealed at some point, and particularly whatever would be revealed, if it would help advance um, the quality of human life here on Earth. What do you think extraterrestrials could bring to us? Well... Back to my kind of biomedical side, uh, you know, over one half of all Americans and perhaps Canadians too suffer from chronic, at least one chronic disease. A third suffer from at least three chronic diseases. We have autism going through the roof and children and on and on. People are, are not well these days. So perhaps some advances in medicine and how to, how to treat disorders, some more wisdom on how to live a more conscious spiritual life if these beings have that going for them too. I mean, there's just, just as much as we've been, we over the last centuries have had a lot of exchanges of knowledge and wisdom across different cultures here on the planet. Let's, let's start doing that with other cultures off planet and see how we can enrich each other's lives. The problem is when we look at what we do to this planet, whether it's animals or whether it's the environment, we're, we don't treat it very well. You know, we, we capture animals and do horrid things to them. You know, not that I'm an environmentalist or anything along those lines, but I mean, how can we expect to do that to another living species that comes down here? We're going to see how they react to vivisection or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, I'd like to believe that these, these um, other civilizations, if they have the advancement in technology to come here, Hopefully they, they're more advanced too, just uh, as far as, say, being spiritual. 
spiritually awake and they could help uh, humanity. We're kind of young, apparently, as I understand, as far as a planet and civilization. And we could use some guidance. And if we would listen, then um, it could help us along. Do you believe that, you know, or let me let me rephrase that. The scientists that you talk to within your own community, are they watching this UFO story unfold? Not, I don't know any of them that do. But again, if some of them are, they're in the closet, just as they were in the closet with their own spiritual life and meditative experiences and so forth. It's, it's not talked about uh, at all. It's just when I go to scientific meetings or I'm with colleagues on campus, it's more we're just talking about uh, the science and what we're, what we're teaching, the courses and so forth, and we usually don't veer off of that unless you have a very dear friend, colleague, and then, of course, that's normal conversation. No, very true. But generally, no. Very true, and I and I could totally understand what you what you're saying there. Be that as it may, you know, with the UFO world, you know, what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see more transparency if there's more uh, public congressional hearings? Would that be something that you would be watching? Hmm. I I don't have much faith in public congressional hearings, so I wouldn't watch that if that was planned. I, I suspect it would be more of the same that we've had over the decades. I'd watch something if some other group was doing it or if there was really some some craft landed somewhere and there was something, some kind of conversation started. That would be of interest to me. I mean, most UFOs is not an area I've ventured in at all. My interest has been more inner space, not the outer space phenomenon and helping cultivate people to wake up to their, their inner space and the gifts of that and how that will transform their life. But does it not maybe concern you the way, you know, so few people within the United States government seem to be controlling a, a phenomena or the information of a phenomena that will affect 7.75 billion people on this planet? It very, very much does. Uh, and probably other examples of where there's a lot of central control that has adverse effects on people. Um, so I'd like to see all that opened up. I have a few questions from our audience here, if you don't mind. I'd like to uh, I'd like to get into them. And let's start with Raz here. Let's get this straight, or let's get straight to it. Scientists have failed us with no answers on this topic of spirituality. Why? Well, the, the, I wouldn't agree with that 100%, but let's say 98%. And the reason is because scientists have been actively discouraged from pursuing and studying the spiritual. Those that do often have adverse effects on their career. Uh, they might not be advanced from assistant professor to associate professor, associate to full. There's a whole academic ranking system. Or if you're at a private institution, it could have adverse effects on your ability to get money to do your research, and eventually you just lose your career. So people have done it because it's not been accepted within the discipline of science. However, there are some who have done it, and mostly those are ones who have been at non-traditional institutions. You mentioned space earlier and astronauts, and there's the Institute of Noetic Sciences in Petaluma, California, founded by astronaut Edgar Mitchell. He had such experiences in space of uh, alien craft, but also he had his own inner mystical experiences. And when he came back to Earth, 
then he founded this institute. And they've been doing research in these areas for several decades on psychic phenomenon and so forth. So there, there is some out there, but we rarely read about it because the main journals, science journals won't publish it. And it doesn't really go in the mainstream media either. So it's not being disseminated what is being discovered. That's, that's unfortunate. Let's uh, do a follow-up with Raz here. Kids who study their dreams will get nowhere in academic life? Um, let's see. Nowhere. I mean, th- there is there is more and more openness. I spoke a little bit earlier about the world of integrative medicine. And within integrative medicine, there certainly is interest in consciousness development. Much of that falls in the field of neuroscience as it's hooked up into integrative medicine. And there, people are studying the potential of the mind as far as consciousness development through things like mindfulness and other forms of meditation and psychedelics. And within that, uh, there are people doing work with dreams and trying to understand their significance uh, as far as how they can influence in a positive way our our day-to-day life. Uh, It's not an area I've studied personally, but I know it's out there. All right, let's continue on with one more. Uh, Let's go to Terry here. Does the endo cannabinoid system tie in with the traditional chakras that's really interesting question so um hmm. so i'm going to say i'm going to say yes to that for this reason even though i've not studied it and i've not seen papers on it there is enough um, information out there in less western scientific traditions which show very close relationships between the different chakras in the body and the endocrine system and how certain chakras line up with certain endocrine glands in the body. So the degree to which these endocannabinoids influence the endocrine system and other parts of the nervous system, that would have an effect on the chakra. In fact, maybe that's how some of these uh, drugs influence people's perception when they have an opening into spiritual phenomenon through psychedelics, because it starts to modify how the chakra is working. And that leads to some perception outside of our typical physical uh, environment. So it's that would be an interesting research to do. Follow up from Parkson here. What about psychedelics? Do you believe that there's been studies of their benefits? Yeah, absolutely. And there's more and more of that. And much of the research these days has been done for people who have PTS, uh, whether it's military veterans or any other force. And it's it's incredibly positive. And it's also positive not only for traumatic syndromes, but depression. I know some therapists in New York City who who use psychedelics in the context of psychotherapy. And they use it because the psychedelic can help the person break out of their highly contained, say, stuckness with certain thoughts, whether it's depressive thoughts or anxiety. And the psychedelic can just open them up enough so that then they can start getting other information from the therapist and start having more insight into what it's like not to have those depressive thoughts and that it's possible to let them go. And there are publications in mainstream journals these days, and it's it's beautiful. I mean, psychedelics, these plant medicines, I look at them as really gifts from the plant world, and we should be actively using them in the proper way and the proper person to do it. And uh, it's, it's they're healing. I have uh, a former postdoctoral fellow from the university who has spent a lot of time 
uh, in in um, Peru, and he founded a center there where they do the ayahuasca ceremonies for people who have physical diseases and psychological disorders. And he wrote a book about it. It's called The Fellowship of the River and transformative work for people. Well, so you, yes. Going back 5, 10, 15, 20 years plus, you'd never hear an NFL quarterback and giant football star like Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers coming out talking about the benefits of his experimentation with ayahuasca in the off season on bringing himself into a more spiritual realm as a human being and as a teammate. I mean, we're, this is starting to become very profound around the world and people experimenting with psychedelics in order to find their spiritual ways. I mean, is, do you recommend that? Mm, that, um, or is it a personal journey? I'd say, um, no, I, I recommend it for people to do it in a proper way. So I, I know there's more and more interest in ayahuasca, and I know people will go out there and just do it kind of on the weekend for fun, much like you might go and you know drink a six-pack of beer or something. And I think that can be problematic. I think if you're going to do it, you need to do it with the right frame of mind, and you have to have the right uh, – at least a kind of foundational ego strength to manage what the experiences are. And more, more importantly, you also have to take the time to integrate what the experience was. These compounds certainly give us an opening into what are often called spiritual experiences. But then we have to go back to the real world. And then the question is, how do we integrate that gift? How do we utilize it to improve our life, not just have a kind of a flashy change and as you were saying with Aaron Rodgers, although I wasn't aware of that, it was transformative to him. So it seems he's done some integrative work to see the value of it and how it's changed himself and how he operates in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just a little too scared to try them psychedelics, man. <laughs> it just, all the yeah. weird stuff that has happened to me over time, I just don't think I need it. I really don't. I got enough weird stuff happening yeah. without well, enhancing it. Well, yeah, right on. So, so you know what works for you and what you don't need, but other people need it. Other people need ways, whether it's learning meditation or maybe they need a psychedelic to have an opening because many people, they're kind of stuck in certain ways of thinking and certain belief systems, and they can't find their ways out of it without like an external help. And if it's done in a proper setting uh, with even, say, proper guidance, then then it can be highly valuable. And I think this gets back to the point of the book. Um, the book is speaking about the spiritual life of scientists and those scientists who have found ways to open up to the spiritual life. Because within science, that's been historically discouraged. But more broadly, cult culturally, People have also not had access to how to develop their spiritual life. In many ways, that's been discouraged too. You spoke about religion earlier, and religions are not are definitely not necessarily spiritual. They're, they're more kind of, well, we won't get into that, but um, our cultures these days, people need ways to get back to their roots, to, to develop their spiritual gifts. And um, there are many methods to do it. And uh, people should do the work to find out what's going to work for them.
and then pursue it uh, with responsibility and, uh, you know, gusto. Yeah, very much so. You know, the idea behind it, though, is trying to bring, you know, yourself in order to that that higher sense of, of peace within oneself because life is stressful. And, you know, when you add everything to it, you know, the way society is going, it seems to be getting more stressful the more uh, that computers and, and technology is allegedly trying to make our lives easier. You know what I'm saying? You know, like you take, you take uh, scientists looking into electric cars well, one of the new studies that's coming out uh, early on in science, I don't know if you've read up on this, is the fact that there is now going to be uh, electric vehicle anxiety when you can't find a charger and your battery is about to uh, go down below 5-10%. This is mm-hmm. something that is is going to cause a lot of strife, much like the social media addiction did. Because we're getting into the electric yeah. car world now. I mean, th- hmm. do you look at things like that? I mean, about how we're stressing ourselves out and not finding our inner peace with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate what you're saying. And much of technology, I would say, for the most part, does disassociate us from our humanity. And the more and more we get dissociated from our humanity, then the less well we become, the less well-being, the more anxiety, the more stress, and so forth. I mean, there's a way to live with technology so we don't do that, but it takes it takes some consciousness and effort on the behalf of each one of us to not get too absorbed in it and to maintain a sense of uh, our humanity and contact with other humans in a genuine, meaningful way. And that's what a social life is all about. Social life is vitally important. Dr. Mills, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour. We have Dr. Paul J. Mills until the top of the hour. He's got a brand new book out called Science, Being and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. It can be found on Amazon. More on Spaced Out Radio coming up right after this. This has been a blast. All right. This has been an absolute blast. It's amazing. It's going really quickly, Dave. Well, I hope you've enjoyed yourself so far. I am. I very much am. It's. I enjoy It's very conversational with you, and you're having me speak about things I honestly don't think about usually, like UFOs. I I don't go there. But I will I will tell you something. My uh, my. Just a sec. Hey, Tiff. Can I tell Dave about your grandfather? And Roswell? Well, this is off off camera right now. We're on a break. Uh, no, you don't want okay. to say that. Cause okay. Remember, our YouTube is, uh, as much as I want to hear it, uh, our YouTube is still live. Oh. Okay, but I just muted myself, didn't I? Yeah, but uh, no, I still hear you. We still oh, hear okay. you. Yeah. I don't think you're going to want to tell that one to the public. Uh, as much as we'd all like to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was a family history having to do with Roswell. Mm. I have people for yeah. your wife to talk to. <laughs> right. What are you doing there, Dirty Filth? Another trick-or-treat one?
can't hear you, Filth. Look at those hands move. Oh, yeah, I went to mute mode again. Of course you did. No, not like I had any ginger ale or anything, but... <laughs> well, this is shaping up really interesting. I'm, I'm enjoying looking at it. There's a conversation going on. Let's switch over to the bones now. Oh, is there another character there? This episode is brought to you by AT&T. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So, people currently listening to comedy podcasts who can't wait for their podcast to end so they can tell that guy in front of them on the bus about it, even if he is the driver. And people listening to political podcasts, saving juicy political quotes to throw down at Thanksgiving dinner with their relatives. And people listening to true crime podcasts who desperately want to talk about true crime podcasts at work, but they're not sure if anyone else is into that and they don't want to seem weird to their office crush. And they already got odd looks that time they looked up that crazy case on their work computer. The point is... Everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on, like the Kubota BX and L01 Series compact tractors, part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup, rated number one for reliability, and Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. Hiding down below? Oh, there is. Look at that. <laughs> Looks like the giant moose I saw just the other day, Filth. Was it bones? No, this one was still had some skin and breath in it. Is this Mothman and Little People or Inner Earth People? Well, it's Mothman and an alien removing the lid off some kind of hidden place mm. just to screw with the people that live there. Oh, nice. Very nice. Because it's a trick, Dave, a trick. Oh, yes. You're a trick kind of guy. Yeah. Forehand, backhand, five-hole, Dave, every time. Mm. I always went top corner. That's why I didn't score many goals. I just played goalie, actually, because I can't skate. <clears throat> mm. Terrible Canadian. My son asked me if he could play goal once. Once. And I said, no, son. He goes, why, Daddy? I said, because I love you. <laughs> Guess that's what happened. You have parents in your life and you don't grow up in the wilderness. Well, you know, I have never met a sane goaltender. Ever. 
I don't think they exist. I want to see the science behind that. Why are all goaltenders in the world psychotic? Here's old number five. Oh, boy. Cat probably stole it. Probably. Wait a minute. There we go. That's the old lettering boy. Sounds like you're sharpening a pencil. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to put you on mute there, Filth. Uh, big thank you to Judy and Cat Chaser for the super chats. Very much appreciated. We do have room for a few more questions from the audience. Please put them in capital letters. Unlike Raz, who's been speaking in capital letters all night long, messing me up. And a uh, big thank you to everyone who has recently purchased swag from our store at spacedoutradio.com. We very much appreciate the love that you are giving us, man. We appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun here as we got Dr. Paul J. Mills for the next half hour. Let's uh, have some fun here. And speaking of fun, remember, Las Vegas, May 19th through 21st, 2023, at the Golden Nugget. Come join us. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. Very much appreciate you tuning us on in. want to remind you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. For the final time tonight, we introduced author and scientist Dr. Paul J. Mills, as he has a book out called Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists, which just came out just a, well, a week ago today. You can find it on Amazon. And Dr. Mills, we very much appreciate you sticking with us here. I know it's late on the East Coast for you, but this has been a lot of fun tonight. Agreed. I'm enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to the next half hour. Well, we talked about UFOs a lot last half hour, you know, and I asked you point blank, you know, what would you like to see studied? You know, for me, I would love to see more scientists get out in the field and go look for Sasquatch or, or try and figure out the realities of astral travel or near the near death experience. Uh, you know, the one thing that is guaranteed for all of us is that we are all going to die. Now, the scientific aspect obviously means, you know, hey, we go right back to dust of the ground. That's what it's all about, dust and bones. You know, the old saying, there's only two guarantees in life, death and taxes. You know, but we're starting to see more and more 
that there is, you know, potentially some sort of life force or energy out there, which really plays, I don't care what your education is, it probably plays on all humanity because eventually we start to feel or we'll all get to that point in time where we are mortal or feel mortal. You know, I don't know if you've got there before. I've been there already at a, at a younger age, at 18 I got there, you know, how do we how do we look into that because i don't think any of us really understand life to the point where and i'm going to test my own anxiety here you know to where we understand you know if god is real what's the point of death if we could go somewhere else for eternity i kind of like it here mm-hmm. planet screwed up some uh, pretty bad people here but I wouldn't leave this place for the world if I didn't have to. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, it's a beautiful planet. Um, it's not in such good order these days. Um, but but there are people studying NDEs. Uh, of course, there's the whole, I went through your uh, list of prior interviewees. You've had people on speaking about mediumship and NDEs and, having experiences in those realms help validate for people that, yeah, there obviously is life after death, that after the this physical body, as we know it is gone, there's still the consciousness remains and people give that different names, the soul, the spirit and so forth. But there's endless evidence about that. Have, have scientists been able to so-called validate that? No, not that I'm aware of, but we are our own scientific instruments. That's another way to look at it. And so don't doubt your own personal experiences as you begin to probe into these things. I worked at a hospice for about 10 years and was with a lot of patients who uh, died. I was there when they crossed over or they might've crossed over when I was you know, somewhere else at the time. But I, I had quite a number of experiences of patients then visiting me afterwards and just having a short conversation or just saying hello before they move on. These kinds of experiences are very evident when you have them. It's, you realize it's not of the imagination. It's something um, really significant and of this reality that we're tuning into something else. What do you think we're tuning into? Well, we're, we, we had a question earlier about chakras. Yes. So we're tuning. What? Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. I remember. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about chakras. So chakras, what are they? They are, they are, Another part of our, say, human physiological system that science, Western science doesn't study and understand, but many other traditions have studied and do understand. And those organs of perception give us the ability to see into realms beyond the physical. And those realms are often called the spiritual or the metaphysical. And in those realms exist (laughs) what does not exist here, including people who have or are deceased and have moved on, but hang around close enough to us who want to communicate and provide information and wisdom and so forth and guidance. And if you develop those other senses and there are ways to do that, then you as an individual can have insight into that too. There are a lot of courses out there these days, people to to help develop our senses beyond the physical senses. And that will give a person an insight and experience into uh, their own reality beyond the typical day-to-day living. And that's important. Yeah, I think it's important too. But do, do we close our our minds to it? 
you know, scientifically speaking, are we closing our minds too quickly to the potential of life after death or what happens after that? I mean, look, there's a number of ways uh, that any ghost hunting type of investigation can be broken down, whether it's radio signals, whether it's, you know, CB shortwave or or whatever that uh, these certain types of machinery are digging up. But, I mean, we still can't help the fact that, you know, seeing, you know, for the special few who have seen a ghost manifest and then disappear right in front of them and in multiple people having that eyewitness account of it, it, it sure acts something strange, you know, that it doesn't fit the, the scientific realm. Have you ever... Let me. I'll let. I'll get you to answer that if, if first, and then my second question would be: Have you ever heard of the skull experiment? I have not. But to answer the first question, if you'd like me to do that, Please. initially, yeah. Well, science needs machines. It needs instruments to study uh, what it's looking at. And if there's no instrument, then it can't study it. And this realm, as we said before, has considered off limits and that it doesn't even exist. But once, hopefully it'll be soon, somebody begins to develop instruments that can uh, reliably and validly image a deceased person or whatever we'd want to study, the human biofield, as I mentioned earlier, that's a game changer. And then suddenly science will say, oh, okay, this stuff is real. And then scientists can jump on it, buy these instruments and start designing experiments and have at it. But until then, it's just a fraction of people within science who are pursuing it the best they can without the best of instruments and proper way to do it. Let's get to a couple more questions from our audience here. Project Hazy, first time in our chat room. What if aliens, what if alien UFO sightings are just swarms of bugs lit up by electromagnetic forces? Yeah. Perhaps that's happened. Maybe that is an explanation for some sightings over years. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I've heard all kinds of alternate explanations, but well, that's not my my. Maybe maybe you can answer that, Dave. Uh, uh, you seem more familiar with this field than I am. Anything is possible in the realm yeah, of, of the phenomena. Anything is possible. Let's get to wave of mutilation. Another first timer in our chat room. Thank you. Humanity is at a crossroads. Are the visitors here to record this moment in time? But are the visitors referring to off-planet yes. beings? If so, well, that's interesting. And I would say, yeah, maybe they're here to record it, but I'd, so, I'd like them to get a little more involved if they had something positive to uh, contribute to humanity and civilization. That, to me, would be a request Uh uh, if if there are such beings here, get get involved in a good way. Don't just observe. What would you like to see with your own eyes? UFO, Bigfoot, ghosts. <laughs> hmm. I, well, I've seen deceased people and ghosts, so that I, I think I'm fine there. Let's see, UFO or Sasquatch. Um, I would say the UFO. Yeah. That, that would be manifestation, would be my friend. A clear heart and soul, grounding and manifestation. Rinse, repeat the next night. Rinse, repeat the next night. Rinse, repeat the <laughs> next night. It will pop up. 
It will. All right. All right. Uh, love this question from Pear, from Parks in here, and that is, Paul, what do you think of remote viewing? Have you tried it? Yep. I have tried it, and I had, oh, I was going to say moderate success, but what's a good word for less than moderate? Maybe, you know, marginal success. Um, I know people who are scientists who do some of this, and they're fairly good at it. So for me, it's an absolutely real phenomenon. Uh, some people are better at it than others. Why? I think it gets back in part to what we were speaking about earlier about chakras. We have these um, other bodies within us, that people often call the astral body and the etheric, that have senses in them that allow us to do that kind of work. And some people are a little bit more developed in certain areas than others. But remote viewing is, uh, is also evidence of just the, uh, the universality of mind, of, of mind consciousness. So for people who have gifts in that area, that, that's just fascinating. If I did, I would, uh, I would use it more because I'm a scientist and I like exploring new realms. So much like experimenting with telepathy and mind speak. Would yeah, that, would that be I, I've I've had experience with that too. Yeah, not consistent, but where I have known people's thoughts, for example. Yeah, right, right. Have you ever worked on telepathy with someone? Not actively, no. That one I want to figure out. That one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: uh, if I get back to the book for a moment, Please. some of the scientists. Some of the scientists I interviewed, they had telepathy, psychic, clairvoyant, clairaudience experiences as a child, and that's why they became scientists. One of the stories, for example, his name's Tom Brophy. He's a professor in California. When he was young, he was very psychic, and he used to keep it quiet. And at one point, he decided, no, I'm just going to tell my dad. Right. And he told his dad, he said, Dad, I can read your thoughts. And his father said, that's impossible. You can't read my thoughts. And he said, okay. And then he got quiet and he just read, he told his father what he was thinking. You just thought this, dun, 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 dun. And the father said, that's impossible. And Thomas just said, well, I just showed it. And his father said, science has proved that is impossible. Therefore, you can't read my thoughts. And that's a kind of amazing closed-mindedness, even though his son standing before him obviously just validated it. And that was something that led Thomas to be a scientist. He said, well, I'm going to do science to prove that it's true. And that's something he's been working on as a, as a professional. That sounds yeah. incredible. Incredible. Let's go to YJ here. Paul, are you aware yet of being able to use IR night vision binoculars for watching UFOs at night? You may be just say, be able to see UFOs sooner than expected. I was not aware that was a phenomenon. So I didn't know. So UFOs, um, they operate in, in the infrared range then typically, and that's why people don't see them. Anyway, I've been thinking about getting IR binoculars just so I could see animals at night. We live in the mountains. Um, it's very wooded, and we have bears and all kinds of you know deer and, and uh, coyotes at night. And I thought about getting infrared because I know they're, they're, they're pretty reasonably priced these days. I'll give it a try. So in addition to the animals, I'll, I'll look up. Reminds me of that story from North Carolina. Maybe you were following it about the young three-year-old boy that went missing and two days later was found in the briar patch with uh, barely any uh, scratches on him. 
And when asked where he was, he said the big teddy bear took care of me. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, no. Yeah, it's a true story. It happened about a year and a bit ago. Wow. A year and a bit ago. That's so great. they believe they were t- he was taken by a Sasquatch, then put in a safe spot wow. that had been previously passed huh. over five times. But, hey, it happens. It happens. You know, one of the things yeah. that I think intrigues us all regarding life after death is whether or not we're going to be able to come back and communicate with family, harass those who harassed us throughout life. You know, we don't know what the other side is like. We've heard stories anecdotally speaking of people who've had the the near-death experience. Do you think there will ever come a day where science proves for once and for all that there is or is not life after death? Hmm. Hmm. I would say it's possible because again, getting back to science relies on scientific instruments to measure things. And without an instrument, we can't study it. And if scientific instruments can advance to a subtle enough level of measurement, then the answer is yes. Because again, I personally have had experiences with the deceased, deceased family members coming, speaking to me, giving me ideas, insights, and so forth, as many people have. So I'm able to perceive them in some level of my inner perception, which means there's a capacity for sight and therefore measurement of some kind. We just need the equipment to do it. I'm not aware of any such equipment now. It's not out there. How do you get the universities on board with with, um, trying to to get on board with these type of, of phenomena like subjects that we've been talking about tonight. Is it yeah. even possible? Or- yeah, it is. Here's how it's done. Money. It's done by somebody coming in and saying, you know what? I'm going to give you $10 million grant and I want you to start working in this area. So for example, a couple of years at university of California, San Diego, uh, maybe three years ago now, some uh, wealthy person, became very interested in compassion. And now this is not something that's typically studied in an academic setting, at least at the university. And they donated over $100 million to create a center for compassion and to begin to understand how can compassion improve health and well-being of individuals? How do we make people who are not compassionate compassionate? How do we make the medical system more compassionate, how we treat our patients and so forth? So it's just money. If the money's in place, then people orient to the money and the money helps um, identify people who have skills and expertise. In this case, it would have to be engineering and other creative endeavors. And then it starts. And that's how the integrative medicines uh, all started in the U.S. some decades ago. It was donations. So in other words, we need a big pocketed billionaire who probably has an NFL team and an NHL team in his back pockets to come forward and let us know where and when life started, what's with humans, you know, why do our noses break so we can barely breathe out of them? You know, uh, hey, there, there's a lot of uh, sarcasm in what I just said, but it does bring up to the point where we have to initiate more study, both at the scientific and university level. Are the universities then a little bit freaked out going down this path because of their fear of losing not only uh, top-notch edu- uh, students, 
This episode is brought to you by AT&T. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14 Pro. So, people currently listening to comedy podcasts who can't wait for their podcast to end so they can tell that guy in front of them on the bus about it, even if he is the driver. And people listening to political podcasts, saving juicy political quotes to throw down at Thanksgiving dinner with their relatives. And people listening to true crime podcasts who desperately want to talk about true crime podcasts at work, but they're not sure if anyone else is into that and they don't want to seem weird to their office crush. And they already got odd looks that time they looked up that crazy case on their work computer. The point is... Everyone, new and existing customers. Ask how to get up to $800 off the new iPhone 14 Pro with the incredible camera with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or our stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. This is for the men who never settle. The ones who believe only quitters and a game and a tie. The type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is so excited to introduce a brand new wing flavor, Hot Honey. They brought the heat with this one, featuring honey, crushed red pepper, jalapenos, and cayenne pepper. It's sweet on the front end with a kick at the end. Go to Twin Peaks to find your new favorite wing sauce. Twin Peaks. Eats. Drinks. Scenic views. Uh, going towards science, but top notch don't donors as well. I mean, th- th- there is always some of that, uh, but uh, but if there if there is enough money put in place, generally the university will accept it, and then the efforts will be put in a very scientific framework, and certain goals and expectations will be laid out, and um, then then it starts. Uh, it's. It, it can happen. Honestly, it can. And there's so many advances in engineering these days in different domains. I would love to see those folks who have that brilliance in engineering with developing new sensors and so forth, put their efforts toward developing these type of technologies. I've been endeavoring to do that myself the last few years. Yeah, I can see that, and I can see where it would intrigue you. we got just over four and a half minutes left with you tonight, Dr. Paul J. Mills, and what an awesome show this has been. If you could get boots on the ground going anywhere to get a study started, where, where are you heading? What are you doing? Okay, well, I'll just follow up what we were speaking about a moment ago. There's a, there's a group I formed, um, it's been a couple of years now, that's called Accelerated Consciousness. And I had been interviewed on a show a couple of years ago speaking about the human biofield, this energy system out here, and how it relates to human health and well-being. And I lamented that there are not enough technologies out there to measure it, and therefore we can't pursue it. Well, I was contacted shortly thereafter by uh, Tammy Fitzgerald, who's down in Florida, and she has a company, um, and she creates high-sensitivity sensors uh, for the DoD. And they use them for uh, different technologies, uh, weather detection, drone detection, and things she wasn't allowed to share with me. So we've put together a proposal, and we've been seeking to get some funding to take the sensors that she's already developed and their engineers for the DOD in these settings and then adapt them and refine them to potentially be able to visualize this this, uh, biofield and and other uh, parts of the subtler human anatomy that are relevant to health and well-being. So that's what I've been focused on as far as um, 
kind of a, a major next step research project for myself. Oh, that sounds like yeah. an absolute blast. You know, do you plan in the future to maybe surround yourself with experiencers, with people who have had these fantastic claims of ET contact or abduction? Is that a path you, you see yourself going to and down as well? I hadn't had any such thoughts until this interview with you, and we've been speaking about it so much. It's getting more and more interesting on my mind. Uh, there is actually <laughs> there is a person here in, in North Carolina in and around Asheville that apparently I've heard about him. I haven't met him who routinely has um, Chris Bledsoe UFOs. That's the name. Yeah. And he's a friend of a friend. And this friend of mine said he would introduce me to Chris and uh, that would be fascinating. So that would be a step for me to Chris is the it. real deal. Chris is the real. That's deal. what I he, he yeah. has, that man is not only being protected by whatever deity is coming down to him, but he's being protected by the U.S. government as well. And and trust me when I say this, he is a governmental guinea pig when it comes to this phenomena. And so if you have an opportunity to get down there and and uh, and check him on out, I highly suggest you do. All right. Thanks for that tip. Yeah, I've heard a bit here and there. Let's get to Tony's question over in the United Kingdom. What's your thoughts about yep. distance healing? Yeah, so distance healing is a phenomenon. It's real. Uh, I was speaking earlier about the uh, the research study I did with a student on hands-on healing energy, and they, they were in the same room with the patients. They, they did their hands. They weren't even touching the body of the patients, and there was lots of uh, benefits on multiple levels for the person. And um, there have also been studies on distant healing that have been really well designed and controlled from a scientific point of view as best as possible. Also demonstrating similar effects, uh, beneficial effects, primarily the ones I'm aware of on mood. Uh, there might be some changes in bodily functions such as heart rate variability and possibly inflammation. I'd have to check on the recent papers. Dr. Mills, give me in 45 seconds where you can find your book and how people could get in touch with you. Thank you. Okay, so there's a couple of spots. Uh, the publisher is Sacred Stories Publishing, and within Sacred Stories, you go to their website and find the book. Also, Light on Light Press, which is an imprint of Sacred Stories, has the book. And then, of course, there's always Amazon, uh, which is probably where most people would go, universal book supplier these days. And the book's there. And you can just look it up according to the title or my name. Or also you could reach me uh, on email, and that is uh, paul at healandthrive.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. Paul, my friend, what a great show. Thank you so much for coming on Space Out Radio tonight and introducing us to spirituality and science. Good luck with your book, Science Being and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists, which can be found on Amazon right now. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. And then Robin McRae fills in for Super Duke on the Cryptid Report. Great job, my friend. Hey, thank you, Dave. That was a lot of fun. You had me thinking about areas I'd never venture into, but 
I'll I'll give it some thought. We'll get you there. Just keep listening to us and you'll get there, man. (laughs) You'll learn the woo. You will learn the the woo big time. (laughs) We will let you get some sleep now. All right. Great to meet you and uh, take care. Best of luck. Hey, if you want to try and get a hold of uh, Chris Bledsoe, I got a way to. You can always reach out to me. Okay. Thank you. So if this friend uh, doesn't come through with that offer that she had earlier, then I'll reach out. That's right. Okay, bud. Take care. All right. Dr. Paul J. Mills, everyone. How awesome is he? Great guest. Great guest for uh, being uh, on the show for the first time. It was woo-tastic. Woo-tastic. Hello, G. I'll be right back, guys.
Big shout out for little Richie G staying up late in the Florida sunset. Hanging out with us here at Goof from Goof on. Hello, G. What's happening, buddy? Dave heard bear farts one time during a break. I sure did. At least it sounded like it. Couldn't see it, but at least it sounded like it. Lee Booker, how you doing? Who else came in here? Mm-hmm. Good evening, Teresa. On Twitch, Big Papa, how are you? All right. Big thank you to Judy and Cat Chaser for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love. It's a great way to support what we do on this show. If you haven't already, give us a thumbs up, thumbs down. We need one for 100. Let's do it. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Zister. Zister is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again. We're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I experienced this back when I was 14. Now, I am 23 years old. Back then, I lived on the outskirts of a small town in Montana. Behind my home, there was a forest. Now, I had never stepped a foot in those woods until that day. The only time I had ever gotten close to that forest was when I was tasked with walking my dog, Charlie. Now, Charlie is a fairly big dog. I had never seen him cower before or since. On one of our walks, I heard a noise in the woods. It was the sound of a branch snapping. Occasionally, whenever I took walks with Charlie, I would hear these types of noises. One thing to mention, though, is that whenever I took Charlie out during the day, there would never be any noises. It would only occur during dusk or dawn or at nighttime. I would always hear them around that same time. The day I decided to head in was an extraordinary day because it was my 14th birthday. After everyone was in bed, I snuck out with Charlie and we navigated our way through the woods. 
Well, we tried to. We ended up getting lost and came upon an abandoned shed. Then, the last thing I expected happened. Charlie started whimpering. That was never a good sign. I had wondered if there was someone here with us, but I couldn't see anybody. I didn't think that I would need any form of protection, so I didn't have any on me. And that's when I started hearing odd sounds. Crunching and snapping noises started to come from all around. Animals in the woods went quiet, the bugs, everything. I was terrified, so all I could do was run to the shed and try to hide. Something was getting closer by the minute. I heard the leaves crunching. It was the only way I could tell how close it was getting. Then a loud bang resonated through the woods. It was walking on top of the roof. I couldn't stop shaking, but I'd like to think that Charlie could tell how scared I was because he started licking me. Around five to ten minutes later, it had hopped off the roof and I peeked out of the nearest window. There was a human-like creature there. Grotesque, long limbs, pale-like skin, glistening in the moon. It had jagged bones and joints. It was extremely thin. It looked like it could fall apart at any moment, but had this aura of strength to it. Instead of bumps on the spine, it had these things that looked like the tips of knives. I felt sick to my stomach and almost threw up right then and there. I managed to get a glimpse of its face. It was roundish. Its eyes were beady. They looked to be black, but I'm not completely sure. They were glassy like the eyes of a doll. Lifeless and soulless. Soon, it had started to walk away, but not without turning back and letting out a demonic roar. Like the roar of a lion mixed with the caw of a raven. Low-key, I think it knew I was there. I don't know what prevented it from killing me, but whatever it was, I am eternally grateful. Remember, if there are woods near you and you hear strange sounds, never forget that there are things out there that won't be as merciful as this one was to me. And if anyone knows what this thing was, please let me know in the comments down below. And thank you, Swamp Dweller, for sharing my story. It's very, very much appreciated. Always beware of things lurking in the forest at night. You never know. And when you got that creepy feeling, just like I did with my buddies a couple of weeks ago, it's real simple. Get the hell out. Yes, get the hell out. It's just that simple. Thank you to Swamp Dweller, who kicks off hour number three of this show each and every night, Monday through Friday. And if you want to go and listen to thousands of more stories just like that, head over to youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads and check it on out today. Make sure you hit subscribe on his channel as well. Speaking of monsters, the Lady of the Night, Robin McRae, filling in for Super Duke on The Cryptid Report. Uh, we love it when Robin McRae comes on in. We got it for a short period. We had the long interview just last week. And Robin, it is so good to see you again. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. I always love being here. It's I, hard because, you know, Duke's not here and everybody misses them. But, I, you know, I love it because I get to come on and say hi to everybody. So it works out great. Well, we love it when you were here as well. And and trust me when I say that. Uh, you are very popular in these parts. You know, unfortunately, <laughs> we, we did not go back to the forest this past weekend. We gave it a week off. 
and this coming weekend we're probably going to head back on the Saturday night just to check things out, see if we can see the big guy once again. I don't know if we will or not, but you know what? I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we have something going on there. Well, you definitely have activity, and like I said the other night, you guys are doing everything right. Like, if there's a playbook that I could pass out to people and say, you know, just try this. Like, everybody does things their own way, but just try this. You are, like, on spot, game on, and that's why you're having the success that you're having. So I'll be sitting by the phone Saturday night waiting for the call. I just wish there was cell phone service out there because <laughs> me too. Or or you know what? Next year you're going to have to uh take a road trip up here because Oh, definitely. Because we're going to need to get you in that area. And that actually leads me to a couple of questions I have, you know, regarding our site that we're having some interaction. You know, I know animals and are are very migratory. And I'm not calling mm-hmm. Sasquatch an animal or anything like that because, frankly, I still don't know what it is. I just know that it's some sort of creature. You know, is that will they return to that same area next year? Yeah, they they actually don't migrate. People think they do, but they actually don't. The only time that you see that they're going to leave is a couple of reasons. If the food sources are so diminished there, where they have to go to another area, then They'll go that way for food, obviously, if they haven't got enough stored up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or um, we had some in Michigan where one of the males, his mate, did not handle the cold well. And she would leave and actually go down to the summer states, and then she would come back. So, I mean, they will, for just like we do. I mean, we have people that go, you know, they go south for the, the winter where it's warmer, and then they go back to the colder This is for the men who never settle, the ones who believe only quitters and a game and a tie, the type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is so excited to introduce a brand new wing flavor, Hot Honey. They brought the heat with this one, featuring honey, crushed red pepper, jalapenos, and cayenne pepper. It's sweet on the front end with a kick at the end. Go to Twin Peaks to find your new favorite wing sauce. Twin Peaks. Eats. Drinks. Scenic views. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to weather the storm. Engineered for more, new Duracell with Power Boost ingredients delivers power Gulfport can trust for the moments that matter most. Because you never know when you'll need power you can rely on to make the most out of moments that matter. So you can have peace of mind knowing Duracell is engineered for more when you need it most. Duracell, engineered for more. Versus previous copper top double AAA, new Duracell delivers more life in some devices or more power in others and a wide range of devices. Regions you know, in the hot part of the summer. So they're not that much different, but they don't actually or technically migrate, no. But if they leave, they generally come back. How do they find their food sources in (laughs) winter? Because here's the interesting part. We're supposed to get snow on Friday. Mm -hmm. And it'll be our first snowfall of the year. The temperature is supposed to drop right down. And usually the first snowfall really doesn't stick around too long. But the question that I have is, you know, the beautiful part about snow is it's very, very good for footprints. Very good. It It is. And one of the things that they do, and I know everybody's going to say, oh, she's crazy and I'm not going to believe her. And that's okay. 
I physically witnessed it. I've had people with me that was have witnessed it. They can levitate. And that's why a lot of times you'll see one footprint here or one footprint there, and you don't see the other one, and it's like, you know, they have more than one leg. They can actually levitate. There's been countless people that I have talked to as well as seen for myself and had others see it at my house where they're in a second-story window, and all of a sudden they look out, and they're outside the window. And there's, like, nothing there for them to stand on. They will actually levitate. The other thing is when it comes down to the snow, you would be amazed how much food they store. Like when I was in Michigan, we went to this one um, area and the DNR had actually, somebody said they thought they saw a homeless person in a cave. And so the DNR went out there because nobody was supposed to be there. It was a protected area. And it wasn't a homeless person that was in there. It was a Sasquatch. But there were 14 deers that were gutted and stacked in that cave as well as other plants, vegetables that they had gotten from people's gardens or whatever. They will store food. I mean, they know what they're doing. They can go and be, you know, in a cave or in an underground cave or these abandoned houses, which they've done even in downtown Detroit. Or, you know, you get these 100-year-old farms that are just sitting out there and nobody's living on the, the property. They just use it for land and they've got these old abandoned farmhouses or barns or whatever and they they'll hold up in there but they store food i mean they know what they're doing well i mean in order to survive they would have to know what they are doing you know and especially in a long cold canadian winter or a midwest u.s Mm -hmm. winter they would definitely need to be able to to figure out the elements in order to not go hungry over their their uh their time. I mean, that's where a lot of animals die. I guess, you know, I guess that's what they're looking for is they're looking for those animals that get caught up in the frost and maybe, you know, I don't know what their diet consists of, but I'm sure they're not picky, whether it's a wolf, a rabbit, a deer, uh, a a porcupine or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. They're an omnivore. They eat the meats, they eat the plants, they'll eat, you know, whatever they can. You'd be amazed how many times they, they will store fish. And I, years ago, I had no idea to the level that they would go with it. The property that I lived on was mostly sand. And they were forever catching fish at the lakes that were nearby. And I mean, within a few miles. And they would bring them to my property. And they would literally bury them in the sand. Now, the only thing I can figure is there's something that has to be in the sand that helps preserve it. I don't know. But I would see them every now and then. You'd see them outside and they'd be undigging it and getting the fish. Right. I mean, it's just tremendous what they can come up with and how they do things. Now, are the the food that they eat when it comes to meat, you know, whether it's fish or game, are they cooking it, or are they like are they building fires and and cooking it, or are they eating it as say a a a mountain lion or a or a lynx or a wolf would. They actually can do both, um, depending on the clan as whether or not they not they allow fire. Again, you know, I compare it to the Amish only because with Amish people, and this is with only respect for them, nothing downgrading at all. It's the the different sectors have different ways of living, and it's the same thing with these clans. Some of them will allow fire. I know several that I've actually seen doing this. Um, I have also encountered a couple that just were had dead set they didn't want that risk they'll use the older wood so there's not a lot of smoke or that type of thing and a lot of these places where it gets cold and there's so much snow or whatever they will use that for warmth as well as to cook on it 
Hmm. Okay, so uh, how would they know how to build a fire? Do you know, this is so crazy. I've been asked it several times. I've had one group that came in, and you literally, you know, it looked like the pioneers out there with rocks, like they're trying, you know, trying to clank them together to be able to do it. I saw one that I really, I walked on it unexpectedly. I wasn't, like, trying to do it. It was behind my house, and I happened to be walking outside because I heard something outside, and it was almost like they they just shot energy into where the wood was at. I, I mean, I, to tell you exactly how they do it, I don't know. I know that they are wonderful at taking energy from their body and zapping and doing all these other things with the energy and the higher frequency. And I do know that sometimes they can use that to start a fire. But I also saw a couple of the adolescents with rocks and they would like take the rocks and like hit them together and scrape them together almost to try to get it to, to spark. So I've seen it two ways. Right. Very interesting indeed uh, when it comes to the, this creature. You have had some incredible stories over the years about your own communication yeah. <laughs> with this creature. And, you know, there are so many secrets regarding what you've been told and what you mm -hmm. know, uh, being an intuitive regarding this subject. Have you ever been told information by the Sasquatch on what you can and cannot say, or is everything on the table? Oh, no. I don't get to say everything. Um, no, I'm given certain information and they've trained me to do different things or have different things go on. Not everything is for public consumption. And it's really frustrating because it's like you want to tell people the answers that they want, but then at the same time, you don't want to betray that trust because you betray that trust and you're done. You're cut out. You're, you know, you're done with it. And at the same time, you don't want to ever say anything that somebody can use to try to harm them. You know, and I keep getting asked when I'm going to write a book. Every year I get asked the same thing, and I keep saying I'm going to. I've yet to do it. But then what would I – I talked to this with Pat, and it's like, what would I do? There would have to be two books. There would have to be the one that everybody can see, and then the one of the things that I was taught personally, and then that one, why write it? Because nobody can see it anyway. Right. You know, so it's – yeah, it's not a matter of whatever they tell me I can say. And when I, I didn't do conferences or any podcast or anything for several years, I only started doing them because they wanted the information out and it's, it's their information. I can talk about my encounters any way I want, but the information they want out is what I'll put out. But at the same time, the day that they decide that they're done with it and they don't want me to, I'm done. And then I go back quiet again and nobody sees me again. But um, yeah, there's things they want said and things they don't want said. Well, let me ask you this, you know, because I've never really asked you this question. We've got six minutes to go before the break here. What is the spookiest encounter you have ever had? I know these creatures don't really scare you anymore, okay? But, you know, have you had any encounters where you ever maybe felt your, oh, yeah. and your own safety was in danger? Yeah, definitely. And it's not that they don't scare me. I mean, I they can scare me just as easy as they can scare anybody else. I think I have a little bit more tolerance depending on the situation. I'm like, I've had them come up to me in the yard, not a lot, but I've actually had them come out. It didn't frighten me at all. You know, so there's been different situations that it hasn't. The only time it really gets to me is um, I did for a long time. I went out with the woods in the woods with them at night by myself, which I don't recommend doing to anybody. I didn't know any better. 
you know, I wasn't in the whole Bigfoot world at that time, but I, the group I had was really, really kind and I was very comfortable with them and they would knock on my walls on my house at 2 a.m. and I would go out in my pajamas and my slippers, no flashlight because I didn't want to insult them or hurt their feelings and I'd go out there with them and they would, if I sat on a log, they would walk around me. You know, I would walk through the woods and that at times could really creep me out because they would come up either completely cloaked where I couldn't see them and then they would put a hand on my shoulder and I could feel the pressure of it going on my shoulder or they'd pat my hair and I could feel them playing with my hair or I would turn around and then here's this big tall figure standing there. You know, that's when they really scare me. I, You know, if I can't see what's in the dark, then it bothers me because I don't know what it is. Fortunately, I can read energy, and that does help quite a bit, but that doesn't, you know, stop the shock all the times either. Now, I've, you know, been in bed and rolled over and had one looking in the window. It doesn't phase me at all. You know, if I can see them when they're coming up, I don't. it doesn't bother me. I, I don't have an issue with that at all. You know, I've been called to areas where there were some actually really aggressive ones to try to help, you know, with those situations. And I'm not going to say that it didn't frighten me or that it didn't make me uneasy, but it was a matter of I was there to do a specific job, and that's what I did. I got in and I got out, and I was okay. But to say that I don't get afraid of it, no. I mean, I'm not completely stupid. These are things that can snap you like a twig, throw you like a bag of chips. You know? And But it's when I can't see them coming that it bothers me more. Okay, so do they play tricks on you then? Is is their game still on with you? <laughs> they don't do anything um, that's harmful as far as tricks. You know, they'll do funny things like I'll look all over for something and I can't find it and I can't find it and I'll walk out and it'll be sitting on a car. Or we'll play the, it looks like a mole head, you know, the pop, that whack-a-mole game where the head pops up and you can see the head and then it goes down. And they'll do that in the window all the time. They'll pop their head up, look at me, and then pop back down. You know, and then the, the only thing, and they haven't done this to me, but I've always been really leery. I had one of their people, one of the forest people tell me to be careful. They'll do it. They'd like to do the belly crawl, and they go right up behind people, and they'll knock their legs out from under them. And they think it's funny. They actually do it to be funny. They don't do it to be aggressive. But they've never done that to me. They've done the belly crawl up and near me, but they've never tried to knock legs down or anything like that. So... They, I've been really fortunate when they pull pranks, they're harmless stuff. You know, I'll go outside when it's really, really hot out. And I normally, I have a pool of water in my backyard for my animals anyway, and they don't hesitate to get in it. I'll go out in the next morning, there's all this hair and stuff in it, but the hose will get left on or I'll go out and I'll turn the hose off. I'll come back in the house and all of a sudden I'll look out there and the hose is halfway dragged out in the yard and there's water spraying all over. And there's nobody else out there. And you go out there and there's all these giant muddy footprints by the hose. You know, so I mean, the stuff when they play pranks with me so far, it's been harmless. I haven't had any major issues. You know, when I would sleep with my window open, my head of my bed was by the window. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have mud and leaves braided in my hair. You know, it was just like they'd put their hands in and play with my hair all night. Oh, it's that nice. Isn't that nice? (laughs) What scares you? specifically about these creatures when i can't see them coming and they're just like right on top of me for the most part like i said the ones that are around me they're really i i don't have a problem with it the only ones that have been really aggressive have been if i've gone into other areas where i knew before i got there what you know really what i was going up against 
but I don't like it when I can't see what's coming. And that's not just with them. It's with anything. Like I don't mind walking around in the woods at night. That doesn't scare me at all. It's when I can feel their energy. So I know they're there and they will come right up on top of me and put a hand down on me and they've never hurt me. They don't even push down on me hard, you know, just a very gentle hand on the shoulder or hand on the back of my hair. And it's like, if they would at least say something, so I knew they were there, I would be okay. But it's when they come up and I don't, other than feel the energy there, they haven't said anything. I don't like anything sneaking up on me in the dark. I don't, and I'm not afraid of the dark. It's just when I can't see something coming up behind me. And it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with the nightmare I had as a kid. So that's the only time I really don't like it. And the rest of the time, it doesn't bother me. I hear you. I hear you there. Robin, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour here on the Cryptid Report. We have our good friend Robin McRae filling in for Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. We're talking Sasquatch. And we are talking all sorts of learning about this big, hairy creature that roams the forests of North America and beyond. Spaced Out Radio's final half hour continues right after this. So make sure you stay tuned on in. We'll be back with Robert McRae on Spaced Out Radio right after this. All right, we're clear. Okay, good. <laughs> fun times, fun times. Yeah, always, always, always. Yeah, I'm hoping you have more activity Saturday night. Call me because I'll be home all night. Oh, of course, of course. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I am. Uh, you know, even my buddy Mark. You know, it was funny because his dad uh, came down, and his dad is quite the skeptical kind of dude, and and. Uh, his dad was like, uh, are you sure you guys saw what you saw? And we're like, yes, we did. <laughs> you know, yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. You know, it was kind of awesome. There, yeah, there was all bits of awesomeness around that. Well, once you see them, it's like you're never going to forget it. And you can see them every day a thousand times a day. And every time you see them, it's like the first time. Like you're never not mesmerized. You know, and they go in streaks around here where daily we'll hear. It doesn't mean we necessarily have a physical sighting. And like two days ago, I went to walk out or walked through the living room into the kitchen. And I looked out past the deck and here's this gargantuan black head sticking out of the bushes. So I went out, I walked out on the deck to see which one it was. And he like turned around and I just saw this head. And as soon as he saw me, he just pulled it right back in the woods and he was off and running. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, gee whiz, but, man. Like, I know. And it's like, if it, you know, even like at night when I was going out in the woods at night, it was the same group. And I was very, very comfortable with them. I don't necessarily feel that comfort when I'm like in a strange area at night. Now, when I just did that documentary with Jason Kenzie in Michigan, and we did that, we went out. I wasn't fearful of being out there at all. You know, you know it was they were talking to me, their mind speaking with me and they, you know, they were calm other than the one kept saying, I'm not by myself. My whole family's here. And I'm like, I got it. You're not alone. You know, don't mess with you. You're not by yourself, but they were not aggressive at all. You know, I wasn't fearful of them. It was a really nice group there. The energy was great. 
but I don't like, I don't care if it's a person, an animal or a forest person. I don't like anything coming up on me in the dark that I can't see. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all with that. Kind of freaks me out thinking about it as well. Yeah, they were out here hooting and hollering last two nights. And I went outside because it it was so loud. And at first it sounded like dogs. And I'm like, yeah, there's a pack of like five or six dogs way out in the backwoods. And each one of them sounds like a different breed of dog. (laughs) And I'm like, nobody down there has any dogs. There's nobody even living there. So it was quite funny. And I was like, okay. And then tonight they were hollering back farther down the other way. But I don't, you know, they... We're just howling. I mean, not even a howl, just the little screams that they do. But we get a lot of noise from back there. There seems to be more noise that comes from the back than there does the front. From the front, we get more of the weird whistles. Right. And it it sounds like a whippoorwill, which is a ground bird, only like nine, ten feet up in a tree. And it'll make the same whistle, and it'll pace back and forth. Like, it goes about 20 feet one way, then 20 foot back. And it'll do that. For I don't know how long, and then all of a sudden you hear it as it walks all the way down the road with the same whippoorwill whistle. And it they, used to be a game. I would sit there every night at the same time. I'd sit on the floor of my bedroom by the window while this particular individual would be over there whistling, and we'd play this whistle game back and forth until he'd finally get bored and just walk all off. And I was like, okay. We have about 90 seconds. Awesome. How fun is that? I know. I am so surprised, though. There are so many people having contact right now. I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's been positive contact. Like, I've only had a couple people call me and where it's a negative contact. And I'm like, okay, first of all, just please stop doing this, and you're gonna, it's going to get better, I promise. And it usually does. But it's been a lot of, of contact. Like, people that I, I don't know have contacted me on a daily basis. And they're like, I just feel this connection with them out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm supposed to be involved somehow. (laughs) And I'm like, all you have to do is just be you. You know, just be you and keep an open mind. It'll be good. I agree. About 40 seconds here. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to both Judy and Cat Chaser for the amazing Super Chats tonight. I think those are the only ones that we uh, picked up tonight, but that's okay. Uh, we very much appreciate it. We very much appreciate everybody helping us get over that 100 mark on the thumbs up as well. Don't forget after the show to leave a comment because it helps with our algorithms as well. And if you want some swag, go to spacedoutradio.com forward slash shop and take you right to our store. We got some very awesome swag there. So here we go with the final half hour starting right now. Heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Thank you so much for tuning us on in. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate it. I want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, you can always check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. 
Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Robin McRae is with us as we continue on with the Cryptid Report. Robin is a researcher extraordinaire. She was a guest on this show just last week, talking all things Sasquatch that we possibly could get from her. And we appreciate Robin every time she's on the air with us. Thank you for coming on in, filling in for Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio, Robin. Well, thank you for having me. You guys always make me feel so welcome. I love it over here. You guys are awesome. What kind of signs should or could we be looking for in the forest that You're would get- tell us we're in a Sasquatch area? Um, Number one, I always tell people, Feel your energy. Like when you walk into that woods, if you feel. This is for the men who never settle. The ones who believe only quitters and a game and a tie. The type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is so excited to introduce a brand new wing flavor, Hot Honey. They brought the heat with this one, featuring honey, crushed red pepper, jalapenos, and cayenne pepper. It's sweet on the front end with a kick at the end. Go to Twin Peaks to find your new favorite wing sauce. Twin Peaks. Eats. Drinks. Scenic views. This is for the men who never settle. The ones who miss the fairway all day and still pull out the big stick. The type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera. And the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks nothing but like peace and tranquility that you know that means that if they are there and they probably are it's a good group if you feel apprehension if you feel nervous or whatever that's not where you need to be you know there's a whole bunch of woods in this big old world you don't have to be in that spot the other thing I tell people is structures and even if you don't know what structures are a structure is they anchor them. And when I say anchor, I mean like if they make the arches and they where the arch comes down, they anchor it. And they do that by either winding it down under something, putting a log on top of it, put a rock on top of it. It's not just an arch that's bent over. It's anchored down. When you see some of these other sticks and, and logs or whatever that are stuck in it, they're always locked. They're in a pattern that makes it very difficult to lift up or move around or knock over. And they create a pattern. They're a form of communication. They're not just for looks, although they're stunning. But if you can see those kind of things, if you can see some of these little tiny temporary teepees that they make, the teepees don't mean they live there. They use them for a huge amount of things, whether it's a blind, whether it's put a child in while they're hunting, whether you know it's sticks that have been leaned up like a teepee that is, are going to show how many of the members of that clan happen to be at that meeting place at that time. There's a lot of reasons that they can make them. So look for those kind of signs. Those are going to be the the easiest ones to do. Obviously, footprints, if you get lucky enough to find a footprint. But try to gauge it. And then if you start seeing all these upright Xs, you know, if you're an experienced researcher and you know how to handle yourself in that situation, then you might be able to proceed. But if you're seeing these giant upright Xs and they've got poles on the side, you're talking territories and stay out. They don't want you there. And it's not just for you that they put those there. It's for other clans as well. 
So when you go in, you've got to read your situation. How do we tell, and I've seen a lot of teepee type structures up here. Mm -hmm. I can't tell the difference between what is windblown and what is Sasquatch. What am I looking for? With the teepees? Yeah. Your teepees, I mean, they will go and they just they just lay the sticks up against the base of the tree. I mean, it makes it form a teepee, whether it's got one pole up the middle or whether it's leaned up, you know, against a tree. A lot of them, if you've got a big tree and they're leaning up against them, that's trying to tell you how many members of that clan may have been there, how many may have walked through that area, almost like a head count, if you will. And then you've got the ones that actually make the teepees. There's not a lot of wind blows that are going to come down and form a triangle-shaped teepee. There just really isn't. You might get some wind blows that are going to make your arches, and that's when you have to be more specific. Look at the bottom of where the tip of that tree comes over into that arch and see, is it anchored? Is it just been pushed over from snow, rain, whatever? But is it anchored? Is there something laying over that end of it? Is there a rock? Is there another branch? Is it taken and woven down in between things? Because that's going to be the indication that it's them. People see all of these structures, and the first thing they say is, well, you know, it could be foliage, it could have fell over. And at first glance, it is. But when you watch them enough and you get familiar enough with them, okay, and again, I don't believe there's experts in this. It's just a matter of your own interpretation and and learning as you've been around it. You're going to see that things are locked in place. And the way they fall, there's no way. There's just no way it can do that because something fell out of a tree. And a, a lot, you know, and a branch came down. Are there stuff out there that looks like a structure that is just the branches that fell down? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Not everything is a Sasquatch, but you can look to find out. You know, see if it's interlocked. See if it's got anchored down. Those types of things will help a lot. You know, a lot of people see all these A's on the ground and they think it means Alpha. And I'm not going to say that they're wrong. What I will say is the clans that I've asked, and I've asked several have said that does not mean alpha. It's a sign of friendship. Are they tracking us when we're in the forest? Like, are they tracking? Oh, I think so. are, Like, are they tracking humans? So, for instance, if I'm out there hunting with my buddies, we all got rifles. Are they checking out mm-hmm. what we're doing? Or, yes. Or are they, are they pretty much waiting for us to calm down, go back to our camping area, have a, having a, some dinner and maybe a couple of drinks by a fire. Is that more appeasing to them because we're in a controlled area then? it's It, it comes down to the individual. I'm not trying to be evasive, but I'm being very honest. These are a human hybrid. They are a type of people. They may not be our people, but they are a type of people, which means every single one of them is different. They all have different opinions and different moods and mannerisms and everything, just like we do. So you're going to have some that are going to be worried if you're that close to their family units and you're out walking around with a gun. Is it possible that they're going to follow you around to make sure you're not going to do anything harmful to their people? A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's completely within reason to expect that, especially if they've got children around. Uh, Wintertime, you know, when people are deer hunting, they are notorious for if somebody gets a deer, they'll follow the deer trail. And if they can get to that deer before you can, it's gone. There's been multiple people that have watched them pick them up, you know, and walk away with them at that point. But it's also just as possible that if they see you out there with a gun, 
they will get most of the clan out of the way and they'll keep a watcher or a guard of some kind or, you know, some kind of stationary that's going to watch you. Maybe just leave one there to keep an eye on you because you have a weapon that could destroy their family. So they are very careful. But the thing of it is, is we go out there and we walk all over because we want to watch them and spy on them. And the whole time they're doing the same thing with us. (laughs) Oh, very true. Very true. How big are these clans? You've talked about clans before. How big are they? Yeah. You know, I've seen some that have had as little as a dozen in it. And I had one in Michigan that there was literally, and to me, this was huge. I never really dreamt that they'd get that big, but we had different, like I kept a notebook of the different ones that would come because they walked freely around my property. They, They didn't even half the time. They weren't even cloaked. And I kept a little diary of what they all looked like. Was it a male, a female, you know, an idea of the length of the hair or whatever to distinguish them. And there was almost 60 different individuals over a three-year time span that came through there. Now, here where I'm at now, there's like three or four clans. And they each do their own thing. They get along quite well. I don't think they're all doing the buddy system. But they, you know, they are they get along fine and there's not an issue. So, but it can vary. You know, on the family unit, I've seen some where it's just they're off by themselves. There's the male, the female, and a couple of kids, and they're by themselves. But normally they want the the clan for the safety. Right. Okay. So what about, okay, you look at the old Alfred Albert Oshman case where it was a mm-hmm. Papa Sasquatch, Mama Sasquatch, and two children Sasquatch. Okay, with yeah. with that being the way it was, there wasn't this giant clan that was mm-hmm. that no. was going. It, it was all about uh, you know just the four of them. So are are they homogenized mm-hmm. in an area where there is more like like almost like forest subdivisions? You take that a you know, couple of acres, I'll take the next couple of acres beside you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to the individual clan and how they run it. There are some that I've seen that they have their own individual little sectors in that area that they consider their territory. You know, they're not sitting right on top of each other. But yet I've also had like the ones that I had in Michigan, they were literally all in the same area. I I did eventually find out where they were staying at. But now the ones in the other part of Michigan where they actually took me to where the the whole nest was and if you want to call it a nest it was the size of a two and a half car garage and it had a lid on it where they'd bent branches over it and uh, hi steve and when they took me there it was in the thickest woods i'd ever been in and these were separate little bedding areas that they had within it and they were built like four and a half foot off the ground the size of a two and a half car garage and they had branches and trees bent all over it was watertight like you couldn't have got a drop of water in there but they had them throughout the woods and it was all the same clan, but they weren't on top of each other. But it's also not uncommon for them to all get in a cave together. Well, there is safety in numbers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But like in, in the Albert Osterman situation, from what my take on that, if that's even correct, is that there probably was a clan there, but they didn't all live like in one unit. They had their own individual areas within the perimeters that they were in. I'm going to ask YJ's question here. 
What is the average size of territory for a clan? I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I honestly do not know. I really, hand to God, I don't. Um, I would love to be able to tell you precisely. I know that I have had some that have been in one place, and then you'll see them 10 miles away within a couple of days. I mean, literally. They travel constantly. And then you have to bring in the whole portal thing, which really expands it as well. I mean, the closest I could tell you is it would depend on the size of the members of the clan and how much area that they would feel that they would have to have. They, you know, they section off where they want to have their hunting areas and they try not to mix that in with somebody else's. But to be, to tell you that they need X amount of acres, in my personal opinion, I don't believe that it's set up like, you know, you have some of your big cats, like your cougars or whatever, and they'll say, well, they do this radius of, you know, X amount of miles or whatever. I don't feel like it's that way with them. I think it depends on the area and availability. I think if you're like in, in BC where you've got just a huge amount of, you know, the mountains and the, the woods and the forest or whatever, obviously they're going to have a bigger area. Where I'm at right now in South Carolina, I mean, there's a lot of woods around, but they don't have where they can spread out to that extent. They just can't. So I think, in my opinion, it would be availability, the size of the clan and the individual. Very cool. We got you for another few minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. Robin McRae filling in for Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio tonight on SOR's Cryptid Report. Robin, you know, we when we look at food sources, mm-hmm. okay, we think, okay, deer, berries, grass, maybe wild potatoes or, or whatever it may be, uh, hogs. Uh, wolves, cats, whatever it may be. I don't think they're very particularly uh, uh, picky about their diet. Okay, but the idea behind, I guess what I'm saying, food source-wise, and and you mentioned earlier they were, you know, potentially storing food underground, much like a chipmunk does. You know, how do they get so healthy and big? Is it genetics is it? Well, I think part of it is genetics, but I think you have to realize too that these are they're opportunistic feeders. If there's a way for them to find find food and use it, they're going to provide for their family. Okay, so if there's farmers around, they may go in and take eggs. That doesn't mean they're going to take all the eggs. Like when I had chickens, they used to, they started out by taking all the eggs, and I was like, I don't care that you have some, but I need to feed my family too, and that they literally diminished how much they took so that I had them as well. And then you have these chicken ranches that have literally thousands and thousands of chickens in it. Okay. And they are notoriously getting hit by the Sasquatch because they can go in there and grab 10 of them. Who's going to know there's three or 4,000 chickens in there. They can't do a head count in them because they're all crammed into one area. These big giant, giant pole barns. Nobody's out there counting them. They'll just go in and grab them and they've got them and they don't take enough that's going to put a dent in the amount that they have. And the other thing is they'll get in people's barns. You know, they've gotten straw from me before. They've gotten hay from me before. They've gotten grain from my, when I had horses. They never took enough where it did a lot of damage as far as for my animals. They always left enough for that. They've taken dog food from me here before. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. But the other thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I kind of would like to point out, is they plant, they will plant things. Like, they, if they get corn, you see all these fields with all these corn. It's completely normal for them to get in the middle of these corn fields and take a, st- a piece of corn here and a piece of corn there. Because when they're spread out like that, who's going to notice? Nobody notices. 
they can plant. They, they'll plant sassafras. They'll plant the tea berry. They'll plant, I mean, they will plant whatever that they can and cultivate just like we do. You know, and that's only going to help them. I mean, they're enti- completely intelligent. They are a type of people. They, they know how to take care of themselves just like we do. They learned it from the Native Americans, and they probably already knew it before the Native Americans. My friend, it is that time of the night where we have to wrap up with you, and I'm so sorry that our time has gone very fast once again, Robin McRae. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. It's always wonderful to be here. Love it when you're here. Do us a favor. Let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. Sure. You can email me at R-L-Y-N-N-E, and then a period, F-O-R-E-S-T-P-E-O-P-L-E at gmail.com. Forestpeople.com. Yes. And if you email me and I don't get it for whatever reason, don't hesitate to email me again. But make sure you put that period between the E and the F or I won't get it at all. All right, Robin, thank you so much coming on space and thank radio you. tonight we love you when you're here oh love you guys too thank you so much bye guys robin mccray everybody let's get to shirky poo's news what <laughs> time is it it's time for shirky poo's news starting off here in british columbia a passenger got the boot from bc ferries after an attempted disguise failed passenger was on board in disguise wearing a wig, scar, and sunglasses while speaking in an odd high-pitched accent. According to RCMP, the passenger was well known to police. The accent was either Australian or British. The passenger refused to cooperate with the cops and left on foot, leaving his wig and mask behind. He was just trying to badly disguise himself, said Constable Rebecca Drott. We'll locate him and give him a ticket because we're not 100% sure who it really is. All right, moving on. An upstate New York school district superintendent was arrested for driving under the influence after he was seen crowd surfing at a high school football game. Well, this guy's setting an example, isn't he? Jason D. Thompson, superintendent of the Baldwinsville School District, was arrested earlier this month after being seen in the student section at the Baldwinsville High School football game. Baldwinsville is near Syracuse. According to the police department, Thompson was seen by many observers, and some believe he was under the influence of booze. So they alerted the cops. Police allegedly say that later on they saw Thompson driving a vehicle without a front plate and saw him making a turn without using a signal. The officer pulled Thompson over, and a field sobriety test was taken. Yep. You can imagine that he didn't pass. I'm imagining that. The school district alerted parents and said, please be assured the district will take this matter seriously and will take appropriate action if warranted. It is the expectation for our district and... That's to have people serve as role models for students for all events. Thompson, by the way, just give me a quick update on him, was released on his own recognizance. He is scheduled to appear in the village of Baldwinsville Justice Courts on October 26th. Moving on, a Vermont man died after ca- crashing into a cow while driving at over 100 miles an hour. 
Yeah, 48-year-old Jason St. Pierre of Enosburg died on the scene on October 9th. A nurse was on the scene and reportedly uh, reported the man dead, pardon me, as well as the cow. A passenger survived but was not injured. The cow was on the roadway. Police say it's now searching for its owner. Vermont's police have put out a release about the incident but offered no new details. And finally tonight, well, maybe we could squeeze one or two more in. Let's see here. Well, let's go here. A teenage girl and her mom were posing for a selfie with U.S. President Joe Biden when he suddenly had one of his brain farts, decided to offer up a dating tip for the youngster. Wow. Isn't she a bit young yet? The president stood behind the mom and daughter when he then put his hand on the girl's shoulder and proceeded to offer up advice no one's asked for, least of all a child. Now, the very important thing I told my daughter and granddaughter is, no, seriously, guys, the president said, till you're 30 at least. He goes, the teen, or pardon me, he, he said as, the lean, as he leaned in extra close just to make sure that she, sure that she heard him, he goes, now the very important thing is I told my daughter and granddaughters, no serious guys until you're 30. The teen laughed awkwardly and said, okay, dad and mom, especially when her mom asked her what she said, he repeated the unsolicited relationship advice. Good job, Joe. Good job. Can we squeeze in one more? Let's try. A British woman has accidentally killed her hunting boyfriend during a wild boar shooting expedition in France. Yeah, Jacqueline Taylor was shot in the chest. He's 67 years old. She was uh, rushed to the hospital where she succumbed to her injuries. Her partner, Pierrot Finnepot, fired the rifle in her direction during the hunt, now faces a chance of mass or charges of manslaughter. Never ends very good. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, Spreaker, LGAP, Facebook, Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SMR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us because together, my friends. We're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.
This is for the men who never settle. The ones who believe only quitters and a game and a tie. The type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is so excited to introduce a brand new wing flavor, Hot Honey. They brought the heat with this one, featuring honey, crushed red pepper, jalapenos, and cayenne pepper. It's sweet on the front end with a kick at the end. Go to Twin Peaks to find your new favorite wing sauce. Twin Peaks. Eats. Drinks. Scenic Views. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. 